G'day and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of the Hunting Connection podcast. Today we have an Australian bow hunting legend. We've got Ben Solaris on. How are you going, mate? Yeah, not too bad, thanks, mate. Yeah, um, I uh, it's been a it's been a fairly big year so far. Um, lots of different challenges and lots of different things going on, and not not much hunting at all. But um, right here and right now, yeah, I'm I'm good. Thanks, brother. That's good to hear. Yeah, family life can can get a bit that way. <laughs> yeah, well, moving moving is a is 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 one of those things that it's just not very fun. And um, yeah, my wife and my my young son and I have just been through that process of um, moving quite a long distance from from a, a town that's called Chinchilla in 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 southern Queensland, right up where I grew up and um yeah moving is just one of those hectic things that I don't think anyone really enjoys moving so that's probably been at the center of of um of 2023 so far and changing jobs and and stuff like that so there's been a lot of life changes going on and um just a lot of challenges this year so far like and just not a lot of not a lot of fun or leisure (laughs) and certainly no hunting so it's uh yeah but look there's plenty of the year left and I'm sure it can improve from here. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. So what do you actually do for work, Ben? Mate, by trade, I'm a environmental engineer. So I, I studied, um, environmental engineering at uni. Um, basically that's, it's probably a bit of a, um, it's probably a, a, a job title. that's probably not super familiar to a lot of people, but, um, it, it at, at a university level, it's sort of a, a bit of a cross between civil engineering and a bit of chemical engineering and a bit of um, resource management and ecology and, and, and that sort of stuff. So basically what that's led me to in my life so far is I've, I've mostly worked in construction and mostly in oil and gas and looking after all the environmental aspects of, of, of some fairly major construction projects and, and looking after operational assets as well. Um, I'm not a greenie by any, um, by, yeah, by any stretch of the imagination. Like I'm not, I wouldn't call, I certainly wouldn't call myself a greenie and I'm not an environmentalist. I I get offended when people refer to us at at work as environmentalists because that's definitely not (laughs) what we are. Um, but I do care about planet earth and I do get a lot of satisfaction about, um, being in an industry where you're basically um ensuring that human activities are sort of managed in a particular way that we are protecting our planet and um and that basically when it comes down to what what's involved in that it's it's sort of everything that like the 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 definition of environment is basically everything that surrounds and um in a construction sort of um context that means like Flora, fauna, soil, water, air. Um, there's there's often a lot of social elements as well. Like there's, it's basically managing and 
and looking after everything that's happening around a human activity. So, for example, building a pipeline, like I've done a lot of pipelines and that's sort of what I've specialized in a bit. So basically um, managing your impacts, I guess, on, on, on everything that surrounds that project. Um, so it's not, it's certainly not being a greenie or being a, being an environmentalist. It's a little bit different to that. Right at this minute, I'm the last, the last three and a half auction supervisor looking after, um, rehabilitation works, which has not technically been an environmental role, but rehabilitation is, has got a fairly big environmental flavor to it. Yeah. So, um, in my current role, I'm, I'm, I'm a construction supervisor supervising a uh, supervising crews that are doing the actual earth moving and the actual work in terms of rehab um but i've actually just resigned and i'm about to um i'm about to leave uh this company that i've been with for four years in this stint and it was seven years before that so i've done over 10 years with um with this company and i'm about to um, start a new job as a as a consultant just working from home so it's going to be a fairly new phase in my life pretty soon and um nice. that's going to be working working from home yeah so yeah nice. that's what i do a bit more family time it, that's exactly right it's going to be less hours per day um and more time um way more family time yeah which i'm really looking forward to um as we know that's that's priority number one you know like that's exactly. that's the that's the bit you've really got to get right um and yeah like my son's 22 months old now. He's about to hit two years old pretty, pretty, pretty soon. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a, a, a fairly big change working from home, and and um, but I'm really looking forward to the family elements of that. And yeah, like that's my normal day job. And in my spare time, I run a I run a business called Silent Pursuits. So I basically book hunts and and organise hunts all around the world. Um, that's sort of been, I don't really like the term that much, but in, in inverted commas, that's a side hustle. Um, (laughs) it it provides a bit of pocket money, I guess, to help pay for my own, um, hunts and my own sort of, uh, interests outside of, um, outside of work. And yeah, it's, um, it's, it's something I really enjoy and, um, yeah, like it's, it's continuing to grow and yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's something that, yeah, I, I'm really passionate about it, and I, I um, plan to keep doing that for a very long time. It's and, been an um, awesome, awesome journey following you, um, like following that journey, and just seeing the incredible hunts that you're um, getting people out there on, like the bog area stuff and the musk ox stuff, and just all of that stuff. The ibex, it's it's been, you know, there's been a bunch of lucky Australians that have been getting over there doing these hunts and it's just incredible what they've been bringing home. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's, it's, um, I, I started, I, I started doing it like literally just right before COVID became a thing. Like, like there was a, you might remember a time not that long ago where we'd never heard of this thing called COVID-19 <laughs> and, um, it, it, it hit like it, it became a thing just after I started. So yeah. that obviously creates a fairly big barrier for sending people overseas to go hunting. Um, but yeah, like, um, it's just been growing organically. I, I, I I'm not the sort of person that's going to go out and try and sort of take over the whole world in, in one day. And I'm not out there to make a million bucks or anything. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of, yeah, just sort of trying to, 
focus really on quality and really trying to focus on making sure T's are crossed and I's are dotted and, and just making sure the quality is, is really there in terms of experiences and um, outfitters and, and hunts and, and animals and like just really trying to focus on making sure things are absolutely like aiming for the very highest of high quality with, with everything that, that I do in, in that respect. And yeah, it's just starting, it's just, it's been growing and it was great last year when things opened up again to, to actually see a few of these people, um, that had been booked for a few years to finally get to these places. And, um, no, I really enjoy it. I love the, like, I love the, I love being a part of people's story, you know, like from, from the time that they first make contact and say, Hey, I want to do this, or I'm thinking about doing this or that or whatever, to the point where it's all done and they're sending me photos of whatever they've, whatever they've got up to, like whether they've taken an animal and they usually definitely usually have. Um, I just love that process. And, and, um, I think I naturally like helping people. Like it's probably just something that comes with, um, me naturally is, is I like, helping people and I love seeing people uh, live their dreams and I've, I've had a, I've lived a lot of my dreams and I I've lived dreams that I never even when I was when I was at high school I never even imagined yeah the sort of shit I'd get up to like I I, I, I didn't I, I really didn't imagine any of this sort of stuff would would happen by this age exactly and um yeah to be able to facilitate those sorts of dreams for other people it's just it's just incredibly um fulfilling and and um it just gives me a lot of pleasure i guess and and uh, a lot of these people are just mates you know like they're people that i already know or and it's just um it's exciting to be a part of and i don't sort of work in i don't like i can book hunts anywhere in the world like it doesn't matter which country it is like whether it's a rifle hunter or a bow hunt or whatever like i can organize anything anywhere but i kind of like to focus on the areas that are a little bit off the beaten track um like I don't do a hell of a lot in in North America and and Africa. I don't kind of promote those areas a hell of a lot because it's just there's just so much already going on there, and and a lot of especially Aussies and Kiwis and that can probably sort things out for themselves pretty well. But some of these more, um, yeah, I guess more, yeah, just more remote or more unknown kind of areas. Um, they're, they're the areas I'm naturally interested in and, and that's probably why I, I'm drawn to those areas and I, I like sort of, yeah, being able to set things up for people and, and get them over there and let other people live their dreams and get up to some really crazy, crazy hunts. I, I just, yeah, I love it. I really enjoy it. You definitely put a few of those places on the map for the Australian hunting community, that's for sure, places like Bogger area and um, is it Greenland where the... Where the muskox hunts are? Yeah, well, that's that's one place where you can hunt muskox. They they live in um they're in North America, like in the very northern reaches of Canada, and there's they're in Iceland as well. Um and and some of the they're basically in the Arctic Circle. So yeah. if you look at if you say if you get a say if you get like a globe and look at it from the very northern axis or look down on the northern axis of our planet, um that that section in the Arctic Circle is where muskox live and um. Yeah, they're they're in the northern reaches of Russia and stuff as well. But Greenland is a Greenland is a very um, affordable, um, manageable um, option, you know. Like for a bow, particularly for a bow hunter, whether whether you're a bow or rifle, it doesn't really matter. But 
Um, bow hunting's legal there. Bow hunting's not legal in in all countries, you know. Like yeah. as you as you would well know, like bow hunting unfortunately is is not legal in all the places where rifle hunting is legal. So we're a little bit more limited as bow hunters in terms of where we can actually where we can actually hunt. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a shortened list compared to compared to all the places uh, where rifle hunting is legal, and that's particularly the case in Europe, probably more than anywhere else, but also in parts of Asia. Um, but yeah, like Greenland's just an awesome, it's just an absolute blowout. I've got a mate going there. He's flying over there in less than a week to go and hunt musk ox. And, That's um, sweet. Yeah, we were just talking today about gear and just, just finalizing the just the last kind of details. And it's a crazy hunt. Like it's just- I can imagine. It's just, it's it's honestly, when I went there, I felt like I was in some sort of like, suspended animation for that whole trip like it was like i was in a video game honestly it was just just it's you, you just can't even explain what that is like unless you go and do it yourself and and have a go and a lot of these hunts are way more affordable than what people i think um convince themselves yeah. of um particularly that hunt like that's that's the, the value for money there like what what you're paying and what you're getting i think is it's just an incredibly good value for money deal and there's lots of other hunts like that as well you there's there's lots of expensive hunts out there and there's a lot of um there's a lot of hunts that are just completely out of um everyday got like everyday people's reach like you and me there's there's hunts you and i will never do because yeah. we just will never be able to afford it 100%. they're just out of reach unless we win a win a hunt in a raffle or something like that um for, for everyday normal kind of um joe blows like you and me they're just not affordable but there are a lot of hunts that are affordable and 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 if you really want to do something you can you can make it happen yeah exactly and just like the species on that greenland musk ox hunt as well that you can encounter like the arctic fox and the arctic hares and that like when you started posting them they were that's so cool. <laughs> I yeah, geek out the, on that um, stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just such a different part of the world compared to like compared to here particularly, like compared to Australia. Like it's just yeah, like it's just especially if you go on this on this on the spring hunt, which is um sort of April um yeah, April, May kind of thing, like it's still very frozen and very cold and um the whole landscape's covered in snow and ice and um yeah like it's just it's it's just something that's just so alien to someone like you or me who's who's from australia yeah. like it's 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 just completely out of this world and yeah to be hunting species like like a musk ox or a, you can't hunt caribou at that time of year they don't have antlers yet and um there's no season for them at that time of year but yeah like the the arctic fox and the snow hare and ptarmigans and stuff like that like it's yeah it's a it's a it's a complete absolute blowout it's it's a complete blowout yeah. and the ptarmigans are like a big quail pretty much aren't they they're like a grouse a quail something yeah along those lines. they're i guess they're probably closer to a closer to kind of a grouse yeah than a than a quail but they're a game bird um i think they have a white i'm pretty sure they have a white plumage during those winter months and i'm pretty sure that changes as the season changes so i yeah, think they cool. go back to more like a camouflage sort of gray and brown modeled kind of plumage um during the summer months like a few of the species um, there do yeah that's right the foxes the foxes do the same um 
I think even the hairs, I'm pretty sure they do change their, their coat, like their fur color as well throughout the season. Muskox virtually stay the same all year and the caribou do as well, but they do molt like the, the, the muskox molt a lot of their um, wool um, during the summer months. So you'll see like those big sort of patches of, of wool starting to sort of fall out and they must just regenerate that. It's it's an interesting thing about muskox. They they um, they're in a very unique family all by themselves. So there's no other um, mammals in the same family as the muskox. And when I was younger, I always assumed that they were a bovine, like in the same family as all of your basically your cattle. You know, like all of yeah. your buffalo and your bison and your bantang and 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 that that kind of family. But they're actually in their own completely own category and they're closer to a sheep than, yeah, than wow. a bovine yeah that's cool so they're, they're yeah they're they're closer to the 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 ovis species than the bovine species and they're, they're virtually a relic from the last ice age like those guys were running around when there was woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers and 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 those sorts of species they're just totally a living relic from that time they've like they've just through just through um, natural processes and and just general evolution they've they've survived they've they've had what it took to to continue to survive on this planet in the, in those environments and yeah like obviously the woolly mammoths are gone the saber-toothed tigers are gone and there was lots of other critters around that time that are they're also gone but these things are just still running around and we can we can go and hunt them and they taste that was amazing. my next question how, how, how do oh, they man seriously like they um someone actually asked me today this is such a random thing but on my work computer today like that has a that like the microsoft windows program has like random um uh screensaver backgrounds like with these beautiful photos and that i got back to my desk today like from being out on site and there was this amazing picture of like a photo of a muskox on my screen when I got back to my computer and, and the lady next to me, she, um, I just said, oh, wow, there's a muskox on my screen. I started talking and I told her, you know, chased them before and I said, yeah, they're beautiful. And I told her that I'd probably describe it as, yes, not not very surprisingly, somewhere between lamb and beef. Yeah, wow. Um, somewhere in the middle there, yeah, like definitely a-, a bit of a – Definitely a bit of a sheepy flavor and a bit of a sheepy element to it, but um, but definitely fairly a bit beefier, yeah. So somewhere That's in cool. between, and it, I I find it very hard to describe um, what different animals taste like because yeah. we can't unless you've tasted something, you've got no reference points. So like you can't. Most of us have only like ninety five percent of our population in this country have only tasted beef, yeah. lamb. Pork, chicken. It's like when I'm probably des- describing javelina to people because when I went exactly. to Mexico, eating them, like they're just such a unique flavor, and they like cook like pork, but taste nothing like pork. Like it was, yeah. yeah. It's unless you've got some sort of reference point. Like taste is a very difficult. Um, it's a difficult thing to describe. It's like describing smell. It's it's the same. Like how do you how do you describe something that someone hasn't smelt before? Like it's you can only use reference points that you that they already know. So there's not much to there's not much to work with. By the way, what did you think of your hoggy? What how did that go for you? There was awesome hunt, super hard, um, way harder than I ever expected it to be. Just logistics, getting over there, getting your gear over there, gear failing while I was over there, like the ladder stand. Um, 
just working through that sand, like it's that sand wears you out walking through the, you know, the tracks that are all, all crazy. But yeah, like everyone rates the hog deer as their, the favorite deer in Australia of eating, but I found it quite bland. Like it's really Why? nice. Um, and it's very like a mild, very, very mild, delicate. very delicate, but yeah, yeah, unlike fallow or red, it's got no real flavor. And that's what I reckon, like, because not many people like that real venison taste. Mm. So I reckon that's why people rate the hog deer as the best eating of all of the deer species. Probably right there, yeah. And and that varies, like, the palate of different um, different kind of um, demographics and different different parts of the world varies a lot. So if you go to Europe, they're, like, generally in Europe, they're looking for, they're looking for red deer. Like they're looking for rusting red stags. Yeah. That's what they want to eat because they want that strongest kind of flavor that they can get. And that's what they really appreciate. And that's what they, that's just what they like. Yeah. I've got German uh, heritage and I, I tend to like eating like fallow bucks during April and red stags and stuff like that. I like that real strong, strong flavor. So that's probably where I get it from. <laughs> oh, it it more than likely is and 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 it's not just a it's not just a um it's not just a random thing like it probably is actually genetic it's probably like these things are real things they're not yeah. just they're not just things that are like oh yeah my you know what i mean like this it, it's probably actually scientifically real what you just said it's probably because of your 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 um heritage that that's still with you it's like your ancestors were there eating red deer hunting probably hunting red deer with a bow yeah exactly five ge- five generations ago or yeah. six generations ago that's that's probably how they survived yeah that's um, crazy i've so never, yeah, never thought thing. of it like that so that's that's good to know so i'll, I'll just attribute that to when when people say why do you like eating bucks during the rut there, there you go. Yeah, I'm German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't mind hoggy. I like it, but yeah, like you, you, you're exactly on the money there. Like it's, it's not. It doesn't have as much. Yeah, it's a little bit. Um, I, I find it very delicate. I find it. I find I love it. Like I still love it, but I, um, yeah, like it's, it, it is definitely different to the others. I, it's funny. Over my life, I, I like for many years, I really had rooster at the top of my list. I, yeah. I. I for, for probably 10 years, I had Rusa at the top and Chittle number two. And that's changed in the last few years. I've probably about three or four years ago, somehow in my brain, that just the yeah. number one and two positions swapped over. And Chittle is at number one now and Rusa's at number two. Chittle's um, nice. Seeker's always been at the top of my list since I had it in New Zealand. It's awesome. Um, that's, yeah. that's really nice. I put right up there, right? I put whitetail below fallow, like quite low on the list. But it, I'm not sure if it's just because I was chasing Mexican whitetail, so it's you know they're in that real dry, deserty area, you know, because they do get a lot of their flavour from what they're eating and where they're from. Right. So you know, if you shot a whitetail up in say Alberta, where it's you know they're a big-bodied animal and lots of feed and stuff like that, I'm sure they'd taste quite different. Yeah, that's exactly right. They, they their flavour is definitely affected by their by their diet. I've eaten whitetail, but I just, to be honest, I just can't really. It, it mustn't have been very noteworthy because I I can't remember what it tasted <laughs> like. To be honest, I I have eaten it, but yeah, I just can't really. Um, well, we ate a lot in New Zealand. That's right. Yeah. Well, I have eaten a fair bit over there at Stewart Island, so it was all it was all pretty good over there. But to be honest, we were um, we weren't very. 
um, classy with our cooking. We were mostly <laughs> making a recipe called popcorn popcorn venison, which is basically really small little pieces of venison chopped up, deep fried, <laughs> like, like like popcorn chicken. That from, sounds good. But it was so good. Yeah, it was awesome. But you didn't really. That's not really. Um, doing the thing like doing the meat really a lot of justice really making popcorn venison but it was it was absolutely lovely yeah we ate a lot over there at Stewart Island but yeah um, I could imagine those Stewart Island whitetail being like they're small but they're a chunky animal but yeah yeah I I just don't remember much of the actual flavor compared to other deer yeah whereas other deer I've yeah just got a bit more memory of what that what that flavor was like but it's it's the same when you go to Africa and any any anywhere really any any part of the world and you start to compare these different um, species. Like Africa's interesting, you know. Like you, I almost kind of figured out over there that it's sort of like a the uglier the animal, the kind of the better <laughs> the meat was, and the prettier animals were the most bland. Yeah, so wow. the most unimpressive for me were kudu and impala. Yeah, wow. and to me they're they're two of the prettiest sort of most sort of most um visually kind of um attractive kind of species they're they're they're, they're just beautiful they animals are. my favorites were wildebeest and warthog yeah cool over there what's warthog um, like? just like super yummy pork yeah like just yeah i i we didn't eat a lot of it but the bits that i had was they were just yeah like really 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 yummy like better than any pork that i've had Maybe I had a really good dish. Maybe I just had good experiences, but they, that really stayed with me. The the, the feeds of Wardog that I had, wildebeest was great. Elan was really great as well. Um, but yeah, it was it was surprising. And and like even though they're like a lot of those animals are antelopes and they're kind of in the same general family, like just the difference between each species of antelope was just so significant you yeah. know like even it's, more than the difference between say fallow reds russo you yeah, know well. like even more of a even more of a flavor difference between those deer species so it's really interesting it's 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 interesting and the only way you're going to find out what these things taste like is to go and taste them really yeah that's you know my youngest he's he's constantly wants to go go hunt africa so it will be on the cards one day when he's a little bit older you know we're at the barber barbers the other day and um i was talking to the the barber who cuts my hair and i'm just she was telling me how she wants to go duck hunting with her dad because her her dad's a italian bloke who does a lot of duck hunting and duck hunting seasons just kicked off here and ollie my three-year-old starts going and he's like oh we went hunting rabbits and hares the other day and he's like we scan them we ate them and then he then she turns around oh what else do you hunt and he goes oh deer tigers (laughs) tigers (laughs) good on him i'm just like yeah mate we don't hunt tigers (laughs) but yeah like constantly he's like i want to go to like i'm like what do you want to go hunt and he goes elephants i want to go hunt elephants (laughs) i'm like that's my boy yeah, well, that should be encouraged, and um, yeah, like it, it's um, obviously you've got to pull them up when they start to mention species that that, <laughs> that aren't actually legal to hunt yeah, anywhere. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's awesome that he's. I don't I don't think that should be discouraged. Like nah. we can we can hunt elephants. We can legally hunt elephants, yeah. and elephants need to be hunted. Yeah, exactly. Um, elephants, elephants, um, elephants need to be hunted, and there is a real role for 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 hunters um 
every single year to be hunting elephants. So I don't. I, I certainly wouldn't. I, I don't think that's something that should be discouraged. Or yeah, it's. I, I can. It can definitely get controversial, particularly with some of these these. Um, in inverted commas, charismatic megafauna. Yeah. Like as we know that it can get. It can get controversial, and you've been—you're well aware of that, and so am my, I. And, my and controversy. So <laughs> yeah, like these things can these things can get controversial, and um, but at the end of the day, when you when like like scientifically and 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 just in terms of um in terms of what is best for these species and the and and the communities within where they live, we know. Unfortunately, not everyone knows, but we know that. This, these things are the, the. This is the right tact. This is the right way to go. I don't want to hunt an elephant uh, myself. I don't have any interest whatsoever. But if, 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 um, it's just not something I want to do. But I absolutely will go out to bat for anyone who says they do. Yeah, hundred um, percent the same. Something that we all need to be. We all need to be very aware of that. I think is that um, even though you personally, like we all have our own taste, right? Like you, you, you are naturally attracted to certain families of species and certain species in particular. So am I. I, th- I think about it all the time, like how this how this comes about. But we all have different um, particular animals and particular species and particular families of species that we're interested in. For instance, one of my best mates, he he loves hunting bears. Yeah. Like he's he's already shot most of them. I like he's got a yeah, he's he's shot a few. Um I just don't really have a lot of interest in bears. Yeah, well. And I I I would I'd probably shoot a black bear, I reckon. I'd like if the opportunity came up, but it's not really high on my list of priorities yeah. right now. There's about a hundred other things that are in front of that. Um but when someone wants to talk to me about bear hunting, I find that it's my it, it is my responsibility to know enough about it to be able to back that up on behalf of the rest of all of our global community to know know the know the facts and know what how these things work and and to be able to um, not say the right things because it's not about saying the right things. It's about just speaking factually about how these things actually work. Um, and supporting our um, yeah, supporting anyone who ch- who who hunts anything legally really is what it comes down to. Exactly. Anything that's hunted legally and sustainably and ethically should be supported and should be supported by any other hunter. And it doesn't matter if they're a bow hunter or 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 they hunt with dogs or rifles or whatever. Um, we we really need to get better at that. And I think that's a Amongst our many problems as a as a global community at the at the moment, that that's one thing that we all need to get better at is 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 um, being being um, smart enough to be able to defend um, anything that's that's ethical and legal and and um, yeah done done sustainably and yeah. and and just just going the extra mile to know about this stuff, like to just get the facts, understand how things work in Africa, understand what the model is in North America, understand that how things work in Australia is the complete flip side to really the rest of the world. Yeah. Uh, when we, when you're talking about conservation, you know, like our, our the model of um, the, the hunting conservation model in most parts of the world is completely different to ours. Yeah. Um, it's basically flipped on its head and you need to understand 
you need to understand the mechanics of that and you need to be able to talk confidently about it and you need to be able to you really need to be able to educate the uneducated and and that's that's a thing in this country right now is that um most of the population in our country in australia they don't really have a strong opinion about hunting they don't really know much about it they probably don't know a hunter um, they probably don't have a cousin or an uncle or a mate or anyone in their circle who is a hunter who they've had enough exposure to to actually know what hunting is and who hunters are so you've got to imagine that's how most of our population is you and i don't know any different because we're hunters we can't imagine yeah. what that's like we can't put ourselves in those shoes because we're not in those shoes where you and i are, are, are hunters where we know hunting and we know hunters but the majority, the vast majority of the population have no idea about what a hunter is in this modern day and age in 2023 and, and who we are. So you've got to, you've really got to think about, um, yeah, what you, you've got to know a bit of shit. Yeah, You've exactly. got to know a bit of stuff and, and be able to speak confidently about it and, 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 and try and provide these sort of people that are on the fence that probably, um, it probably depends who they're sitting around the dinner table with in terms of which way they swing yeah um they might have some mates who are they might have some mates who are like who are super anti-hunting and they might sit around and agree with them one night and then they're sitting with you in a different circle of friends the next night and agreeing with you and, and going oh yeah that's awesome like hearing your stories and go, oh that's so cool you you you're, you're hunting these deer and you're providing meat for your family and you're 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 teaching your kids all of these these skills and you're like that's how most of our population is. Then on the fence. Yeah, exactly. They don't have a strong view. So we, 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 we need to be aware of that at the moment. That's actually a podcast I, I want to do now that I've got a mobile recorder is um, head down to in Adelaide. We've got a shopping complex called Rundle Mall and it's like a big open mall with shops either side, you know. It's where all the all the hipsters and all of that go shopping. I actually want to go down there with the recorder and just chat to people. What is your understanding of hunting? What do you think of hunters? You know, what, if I explain hunting to you like this, does it change your mind? Like, you know, what do you think of the government shooting deer and just leaving them to rot, you know? And all of that stuff, bring that to the attention and just, just see what... Um, you know, the public actually thinks, you know, because I, I, I deliver to tradies all day, every day. I deliver plasterboard and, you know, I'm having this chat, you know, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going hunting. Oh, what are you hunting? Oh, deer. What, there's deer here? And then, yeah, going through, you know, <laughs> and oh, what do you do with the deer? Oh, I, I eat it. i got a big 500 litre chest freezer, you know. My family doesn't live off of hunted game entirely, but we it's a strong substitution for other stuff yep. that we eat so you know it's yep. deer one night beef the next you know chicken the next then it's you know goat rabbit fish all of that stuff and explaining that to them and quite often they're, they're really really interested in it so yeah that's a avenue i want to go down and start chatting to people in the actual city of adelaide and be like hey what's your thoughts on hunting and hunters and then yeah just break it down like that but i reckon that's kick it back to where you started, how did you get into hunting and fishing? Yeah, well, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fairly, um, yeah, I, I feel very, very lucky. Like I was, I was kissed on the ass by a, yeah, or kissed on the whatever by a, a whatever, uh, when I was born, basically I, 
my dad was full on into bow hunting when I was born. I was born in 1984, so I'm 38 now. And um, my dad got into bow hunting in the mid 70s with a bunch of mates. It was just a, it was just a good um, combination of um, like I think him and his mates they they definitely hunted with rifles and hunted with dogs a little bit like at the end of high school and sort of probably after that a little bit. But it was just up in that part of the world in Tully, um, there was just a combination of people who um, just got into bow hunting at the same time and it was the right combination they started a club uh, the tully bow hunters which is still going now um they got right into it they just got right into it and bow hunting was sort of um i guess that was they were the days when fred bear was like doing his thing and like there was there was like it was really going through a growth phase in the u.s which is where most of our modern sort of bow hunting culture originates from as you as you know um yeah, and, and Dad was just hunting flat out when I was born, and um, I was just surrounded by most of his mates were bow hunters when I was a kid, and I was shooting a bow when I was really young and going to the bow hunters club, and I was around I was around really serious bow hunters at a really young age, and I mean surrounded like I was around the campfire listening to stories. Um, there was no internet, there was no, you know what I mean? Like it was a totally different time back then, and um you can just imagine like well it, it probably is hard to imagine for someone else really what that was like but i was just in the thick of it mate like just right in the thick of it and when i when i mean when i when i when i mean in the thick of it like it was all pigs there was really nothing else on the agenda um at that stage there was deer like some deer species weren't even legal to hunt you couldn't even hunt red deer in, in queensland at that stage i'm not sure about the other states but I think chittle deer only became legal to hunt in 92. Yeah, wow. Um, so deer weren't really on the agenda. Um, we had ABA targets with deer on them. So like they were sort of like this obscure kind of animal that we knew was somewhere, but we didn't know where they were really. Goats were a thing, but goats were so far away from that part of the world that they weren't really hunted much. So you had to – if you lived in Tully, you had to drive like a long, long way to hunt goats, whereas I guess the southern states had more access to goats. But being in Tully, like the Cape's right there. So there's a lot of – those fellas had amazing access to not only the Cape but also the Basalt Wall, which is which is a, also a, a mecca for, 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 for pig hunting. Like that's where um, Pacific Bow Hunting Safaris has been set up for a fair few years now, like originally set up by Billy Baker um, back in the day. And um, the wall – the wall was a mecca and the cape was a mecca and so tully's between those two spots so pig hunting was it measuring tusks was it and it was all about um it was all about hunting big boars with with bows and like the club i grew up in when i was a kid sites were banned and like basically anyone with a compound was sort of not a very popular <laughs> character like if you had a compound, you sort of were a bit of a wanker, really. Like, and I'm not joking. Uh, that's how it was. Yeah, exactly. We all had we all had longbows and recurves. Yeah. Like we we only shot longbows and recurves, and anyone else was sort of not taken that seriously. And um, yeah, I guess that was just what I, the culture I was surrounded by. And I I just followed dad around up the Cape from a, quite a young age, and um, was put into some pretty hairy situations from a young age, and um. Saw a lot of pigs, saw a lot of pigs um, like shop with bows before I had my chance to shoot one. So I, I witnessed a lot of activity before I was old enough to really put an arrow on myself. And 
I shot, I killed the first pig I ever shot at, which was in 1994, um, almost at the tip of Cape York, right in a, a quite a remote area, which I've never, we'd never been there before and we've never been there since. And um, that was the first pig I ever shot at with my 30-pound longbow. Um, I'll never forget it. I was with, with Dad and Bill Hill. Bill Hill was, um, yeah, like he was just, he was just one of the, um, just he's just one of the most amazing uh, humans I've ever had the pleasure of being around. Um, just just a, a character. They just don't make them like him anymore. Like they, that there's just no one around in this generation that's ever going to be anything like what he was. Yeah. Um, he was just an incredible um, craftsman. Incredible mate incredible hunter and an incredible shot with any bow he picked up just a just an absolute freak with anything he'd he'd pick up a longbow that he'd never shot before and just just hit the a zone every shot like just just a freak and he he still has the second biggest bore ever shot with the bow as you probably would have noticed in the record books he still has the the number two bore that's ever been taken in this country with a bow um so yeah, Dad, Dad and Bill were there. Like the two, out of all the people in the world that I would have ever could have ever dreamed of being there to witness that moment, they were there. And um, yeah, I shot my first pig, and that's awesome. To me, to me, that's still my most special animal, mate. Like that's like I, I think the when you build up to that over a number of years, and you've you've sort of looked forward to that moment for a long time, and you've been around pigs, and you've been around hunting, and 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 sort of been frothing for so long, and then your moment finally comes like i don't think any animal i'll ever um take will ever top that one my first ever first ever animal to be honest how old were you 11 11 wicked yeah and um yeah i guess after that just to i don't want to i don't want to sort of try and um i don't want to take too long but basically just to give you the short version from there like i hunted pigs with dad flat out till um, from 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 yeah from when I was five to still now we still got the cape now so I haven't stopped hunting pigs but there was a very special moment in 1990 um, it was either 95 or 96 and Dad came home he had been doing a, a course with a bunch of other uh, landowners and farmers and stuff down in Townsville he came home and I still remember where I was sitting when he told me in the in my parents' house and he walked into the house and said Ben guess what. I've met a bloke that's got deer on his property. And that moment just totally just nothing was the same from that very <laughs> moment. Like nothing's ever been the same since that moment. Because eh? uh, within about three months we were out there, we were, uh, we were hunting these chittle deer with our longbows and just had no chance in hell. Like just had absolutely no chance in hell of 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 of, of getting it done with our – with the gear that we had, like it's a big undertaking trying to get a chitterly with a longbow, as you as you know, and not many people have ever done it. Deep learning curve and um, adding on another species, like suddenly going from a one species thing, like where pigs were everything and there was nothing else that we ever hunted, suddenly hunting chitterly and um, yeah, like that just changed everything. And I think within about two years, it was 1998, I got my first compound bow. I saved up. Um, saved up $800 and bought a Martin Firecat. Um, around that time, and like most of those Martin boats, Martin were a really popular brand then. Like Matthews weren't really – I don't think Matthews really existed then. And Hoyts, yeah. Hoyts were around. 
um, and PSEs were around and that, but Martin were a very popular brand then. Um, and that particular year, the factory to keep everyone working um, during the during the winter, they just made a heap of these particular model, this Martin Firecat. They just made like millions of them, and therefore they were they were priced really cheaply the following year. And I saved up eight hundred bucks um, to buy this Martin Firecat in nineteen ninety eight, and I had I shot that bow for ten years. I didn't get a new bow till two thousand eight. <laughs> but um, but uh, my I guess to put it. To try and summarize it, I guess my desire to um, take a deer with a bow outgrew my love for hunting with traditional gear. And I, over time, convinced myself that I, yeah, I, I never thought I'd ever shoot a compound. I like when I was when I was like twelve or something. I, I never, ever, ever, <laughs> ever imagined ever shooting a compound. Like it was not. It was just not possible, but deer changed me, and particularly chittle deer changed me. And um, yeah, I, I ended up getting a compound, and um, yeah, I think it was the next year, '99, I got my first deer. And, That's awesome. Um, Dave Dave Keeble was with me. It was just Dave Dave Keeble and I were out there. Dave wasn't there that trip, and I, I and um, it was just this magical moment stalking it on this stag, and it, it, like I'll never ever forget it. Like he like. It, he was he was rubbing on a tree and and he wasn't a big stag like he was only a fairly young stag but that was perfect for me being a being a young stag myself and got in and um, pulled an amazingly just just smoked him you know like just a really nice shot he took about two steps and fell over and I just burst into tears and I was just like after hunting them for pretty solidly for I think it was by that stage yeah three or four years it felt like a lifetime but it felt like I'd invested a lot of my life into those deer and to get my first one down. It was a massive, massive moment to get that to get that first deer, and I'll never forget going back to the homestead that night and and um yeah like I'll I'll never forget that moment like just yeah just just telling him yeah I've, I've got it done like I've, I've got one and <laughs> that's I, awesome I still hunt chittle deer now you yeah. know like I they'll probably always be my favourite deer to um to hunt I love I love all the deer in a different sort of way but they'll probably always be my favourite yeah because they were the first. And, um, yeah, just in a real brief, I guess, briefly, like from there, yeah, just hunted just solely pigs and chitteldeer throughout the rest of school, high school, even my uni days, like when I was sort of going through uni, I I didn't really make any friends at uni that were hunters. I just sort of was doing my own thing and I'd come back on holidays and go hunting with dad either up the Cape or, or out chasing deer at our, at our chittle block. And, um, it was really those two species and nothing else. And, um, it was only when I really got a good job and started to have a career and um, that was when the floodgates opened, I guess. And um, I did my very first guided hunt, like a, an actual paid guided hunt in 2009. That was for, for Buffalo up in the Northern Territory. I decided to reward myself for um, finally getting through uni, which which took a, took a longer time than what would be reasonably um, expected. Um, and, yeah, like since then, I've just – like let's let's be honest i've just gone nuts since then like yeah. it's just yeah it's just been one thing after the other and one dream after the other and um yeah we all we all have our own sort of goals and our own sort of um we all have our own dreams you know like there's certain things that you, and and that changes like you'll you'll dream about one thing and and you'll and that'll be a goal and then and then then when you live that dream and you sort of accomplish that goal, then it can it, it easily just turns into something else. And it does. And that's just an ongoing process. And um 
yeah, like I've just I've just gone nuts. Yeah, like the last the last what are we on in two, 2023 now? So. Yeah, I guess the last fifteen years, I've just had the opportunities to to do a lot of lot of stuff. Yeah, a lot of lot of hunting, and um, that's involved going overseas to different places that I've wanted to go to, and and staying to my roots, and still going up the Cape with my mates and my family, and still going out hunting chittle deer, and and like just exploring Australia and New Zealand, and and the things that are kind of close and accessible, and I've just had just had so many um i've just i've just had just i've just had such an amazing um um i guess run of luck with the people that i've come in contact with the mates that i've made the the contacts that i've made and the the experiences that i've had and um yeah you but you got to make it happen you know like it does it it's not like i've just yeah it's not like it's just all fallen in my lap like you've yeah you've you've got to um, you've got to have a goal or a dream or an idea to start with. And then usually once you have that idea, it just grows legs from there. And that's just, it's just been a progression from there. Yeah. But hopefully that didn't take too long to explain, no, but man. that was, that's a bit of a summary anyway. No, I, I, I love listening to it all. Um, you know, there's, there's two, two really, really there's two accounts that I love watching the old school memories on actually probably three. Yours being one of them, like seeing all the um, photos of you as a young lad out there chasing boars, you know. I haven't even seen a feral pig in Australia yet. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, being in That's South... That's crazy. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. I guess South Australia, there's not many, eh? Nah, I've, or zero, I've done a couple... No, nah, there's... Kangaroo Island had a healthy population for a while, but I've got... I've come in on that end where... There's not as many these days. Um, so I've done about four trips over there and seen three dead ones. Um, they get dogged pretty hard over there. Um, uh, Scotty Meadows is another amazing account, like seeing all the all the young, like the photos of him as a young lad. And Dave Whiting, um, seeing all of his, his stuff, like just insane stuff um i actually got to take dave out for a um stalk a few oh, probably about six years back he was sister-in-law or someone lives in a town close by to me and i said hey passing through we'll catch up and yeah dropped in and took him for a, a walk around one of my goat blocks and took him around the adelaide hills and just showed him the abundance of game we have through the adelaide hills and mm. he, he was blown away he he's like i i did not expect adelaide and then Adelaide Hills and surrounding areas have it, to have so much game. And, yeah, mm. he was blown away. But, yeah, watching all of his stuff, seeing, you know, all the rabbits, foxes and cat stuff that he, he shares quite a bit is just spectacular. And then, yeah, the stuff that you and Scotty Meadows post, just it's it's awesome seeing how far you guys have progressed in bow hunting. And then, you know, um, oh, shit, I can't even remember when I started following you. But um, it probably would have been around the same time as you shot your sheep um so what 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 year was that you went out oh i've got a big horn in 2015 big horn sheep yeah yeah so it would have been probably maybe just before you you shot that and then yeah just seeing all the progression of australian bow hunters going abroad and just seeing all the different Mm. different game you know it's it's an insane thing to like, because, you know, I've come into it, you know, chasing goats and fallow deer and, you know, I grew up shooting goats with rifles with my grandparents and foxes, rabbits, all of that stuff. And then just seeing this worldwide 
of bow hunting and Australians getting out there. Like my my first um, intro to bow hunting was bow fishing. So my my dad took me out bow fishing, went back to his house and um, he put on a bow hunting DVD. It was Casey McCullum. So one of those those <laughs> DVDs that Casey put put out there. And I, I think I watched that about a hundred times that week. Yeah, I just sat there on repeat watching that Casey McCullum DVD. And so that, awesome, yeah. that was my intro to bow hunting and, you know, yeah. and then being able, you know, it was that time where you just added everyone on Facebook in the hunting community and being able to chat to Casey and then, you know, meeting yourself at the deer expos and meet, like just all these, like how small the Australian hunting community is being able mm. to chat to these people and get a better, better understanding of what to do, what not to do and being able to see where you can go if you put the time and effort in has been a huge mm. huge eye opener for myself coming into it, you know, 10, oh, well, 10 I, years ago. I think you should consider yourself lucky to have taken whiting for a walk because that's a to me that's a privilege and an honor that you've had there to to take him for a walk and go for a hunt with him because he he um I was thinking on the – I was driving around yesterday and, I'm, like, I'm sick of hearing the word legend because it's just losing <laughs> – it's totally losing value yeah. and it's losing meaning at the moment. I, we need to come up with another word and maybe that's a – That's embarrassing. I, to... I introed the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we need to come up with another word or some sort of – maybe a few different words, but Whiting's not a uh, – you, you just can't call him a legend because it's just not even even slightly close to doing him justice as a – as a person and a human and a man and a bow hunter and everything else, a father, everything yeah. else that he is, um, there's just no like there's just no words that I know of that that describe a person like like him, um, and just the what and and in particular what he's given to bow hunting in this country, you know, like yeah, I exactly. think that's probably what it boils down to a lot. And there's a few in his. There's there's a few others in his sort of um, league, I guess, um, that that have just um, provided so much. Not only at a grassroots level, like just offering assistance to someone they've never even met at a at a random shoot or at an archery event or whatever, or taking someone someone on their wing to take hunting or whatever. But at so many levels, some of these guys have just provided so much back into our community and into our um into our um pastime and 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 just australian bow hunting exactly um it's in, Im immeasurable it's immeasurable and and um yeah like there's a few in that category and and um yeah so i'm i'm, I'm stoked for you mate that you've even got to I'm, I'm stoked that you have even got to go for a walk with dave that's bloody that's a big ticket and a big box as far as i'm concerned oh, i was a it was a cool um, day you know he passed through and i seen he was coming to adelaide and i said hey man if you want to come come out for a shoot and go for a walk around i'm more than happy to take you out and show you my deer properties and goat properties and just have a walk and yeah we went that's what he's like went to one yep. of my goat properties and you know had a call call for some foxes didn't get any in but yeah spotted some goats and we just sat there talking shit and just walking through and Took yep. him, took him down to the bottom of the gully, and he's like, "Oh, we'll just go up this way." And took us through the biggest blackberry choked gully you'd ever seen. You know, he's wearing his three D, you know, he's got his three D camo on, and it's getting all caught up. I reckon there's still some of his ghillie suit in the bottom of that gully, and <laughs> yeah, he's just taking us through the the biggest choked blackberry gully you would 
ever seen. And <laughs> uh, was he can walk, laugh. eh? Oh, like, he, he can. He can walk, and even still now, like he's he can just he. You can't tire him out. Like he is just <laughs> a death marcher, eh? Like he just does not stop. But what inspires me the most is um is like. Like I just hope that when I'm his age, I've got that much keenness still in me and that much fire still in me, eh? Because it, it has not his 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 um, the froth inside him has not diminished at all no. over so many years. Like I've I've been hunting with him fairly recently. I, I think the last time would have been oh less than six months ago. But he is he's keener than me. Like he's <laughs> he's he is so keen and he's done so much hunting. Yeah. For so many years, and he is—he is still so keen. So, like, he inspires me. Like, I—I I hope that I'm like that when I'm his age. I hope that I still have the fire and still have the passion when I'm when I'm in my fifties and my sixties. And I hope to just keep hunting till I can't walk. That's my goal. Yeah, exactly. But, um, but no, there's been a lot of characters like that that have that have come through the ranks at different stages and. They've all existed and lived in different phases, you know. Like there's people, there's a lot of, there's we've all sort of been, we've all been born and been exposed to Australian bow hunting at at different fate, like different times, and and been involved in different areas. Like the, yeah. the cultures are going to vary a little bit between, like say somewhere like Tully and somewhere like Adelaide, you know. Like it's it's the it, completely different parts of the country and. And also that that time factor as well. Like there's people, um, there's people like Dave that they were around in the very early days and were actively bow hunting when bow hunting was only just sort of becoming a thing in this country. And he's still going flat out now. Look at yeah. Look at Ian Fenton. Look at Ian Fenton was sort of the he, he. I call him the Godfather, but he he basically like he really kicked things off in this country. He's 82. He shot a friggin' Bantang last year with his 60-pound recurve up at Coburg. Yeah, I've like, seen those photos. Totally ridiculous. Like at 82 years old, to be out there, he had a big break from bow hunting. He sort of was in art, was like mostly focused on archery for a fair while there, and he's done. He's just what what he's achieved and what he's contributed. Um, most people will just never even have the slightest inkling of what he's contributed to to what we love in this country. But it happened, and it's there, and there's 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 just a, there's just so much history, and so many different characters have, have been involved at, at different levels and contributed different things um, over time, and um, that's where I feel a bit lucky. Is I I was around, I was young enough to sort of see that old school sort of side of things when when like before the internet, I guess, and and before social media and. Um, I really saw that, I guess, the, uh, the the back end of the old school, but then I grew through the internet age and the social media age, and I've witnessed that whole thing unfold into what it is today, and I've witnessed the changes in bow hunting over that time and, and seen, yeah, I guess the good and the bad and the ugly of of, um, of how things have changed, and, and there's some really positive, that like there's some really positive things um there's there's a lot of really big positives that have that have that have come and there's a lot of negatives as well um and and i don't know which one outbalances the other to be <laughs> honest compared to what i knew when i was a kid yeah um i think i think the the real true spirit of bionic like the real true spiritual kind of um side of 
what Australian bow hunting means and what it is um, has been lost a little lately. Um, but yeah, but there's been plenty of positives as well. Like back back then, they weren't they weren't sitting around the fire talking about mid Asian ibex or <laughs> anything like that. You know, like it was different. It, times change. Like it's just part of this planet. Like things things change over time, and that's Evolve. just the way nature is. Technology changes. Yeah, it's just it's just the way it is, and we've just got to just got to accept it as it is. And um, yeah, I think I think what's most important is if you if you if you're doing things ethically and you you're being a good person and you and you you're um you 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 you're, you're having fun. At, at the end of the day, we're having fun, aren't we? We're not we're not out there being all serious and yeah. Not it's not like we're going to work or something. Like at the end of the day, it, it's fun. And it's 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 um yeah like I think yeah if you if you if you're doing things right by other people and doing right things right by the law and um and um yeah and 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 passing this is really our cultural heritage and I don't care what anyone says bow hunting is our cultural heritage it it, it is yeah. it's really strange like this is a real interesting fact and I'm going to tell you. I was actually reading a document today at work. I was literally at my desk at work and I happened to be reading this document that actually defined what um, intangible um, cultural heritage actually is under the United Nations definition. I'm going to read it to you right now. I'm just pulling up the email. Yeah, no worries. I'm going to quote it right now. Intangible cultural heritage is defined as the practices, representations, expressions, knowledge, and skills, and the instruments, objects, artifacts, and cultural spaces associated therewith that communities, groups, and in some cases individuals recognize as part of their cultural heritage. That is the definition by UNESCO, which is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. That is UNESCO. If you want me to send that to you, I will, but... If I read that again, pretty much every every word in that sentence screams bow hunting. Exactly. It it is, and we need to start saying that a little bit more often. Like, it's not just something we do for food. It's not something we just do for fun. I hate using the word sport because it's certainly not a sport. Yeah, we don't. I hate that. We don't kick kick balls around or tackle each other or or try and hit a ball into a hole. It's not a sport. It's way more than that. It's and, a lifestyle. And way bigger than that. It it is it is part of our cultural heritage yeah. as human beings. We are a species. We are a, we are a species that happened to develop on this planet, and that is a massive, massive part of our history as a as a species, and therefore it is part of our cultural heritage. And virtually every single every single place where humans existed and and developed over over the last hundreds of like several hundreds of thousands of years bows were it bows were what we had yeah that's how we developed that's how we became what we are right now and like it or not that's a massive part of our history and a massive part of how we got to this point right here in time where you and i are talking to each other over a computer and and you know what i mean like that's how we got here that's a massive part of how we got here and that's Uh, that's the real debt like the real bummer with this whole proposed South Australian bow hunting ban. Um, you know, I know that it's like my good mate, um, Ilias, 
Action Man bow, Action Man um, hunt, uh, Action Man, yeah, Action Man on um, Instagram. He's a massive trad shooter, loves his trad bows. Um, but with all the proposed bow hunting band stuff, he's just gone. Like his, well, I've been cut up about it. He's been cut up about it, and you know we've just been bouncing ideas off of each other. The cultural things come up a few few times, you know. His heritage, like his ancestors, are from Papua New Guinea. So, boat, wow. boat, like you know, he he he's had a reed bow, like a cultural reed bow, since he was a baby. You know, it's in his blood to bow bow hunt, and yep. you know, it's been a real dampener on everyone in South Australia that bow hunts and and hunts with this, and that's one thing that people have been arguing. It is our culture. It is who we are. Um, yep. It's it's a lifestyle, you know. I could not imagine not bow hunting, and I don't don't imagine like I'll I'll I will never stop bow hunting, you know. Whether I have to travel interstate or overseas to do it, I won't be yep. stop. I won't I won't be stopping doing it. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 a tough one here in South Australia with that, and sadly, I think if South Australia does fall. Other states are going to follow. Um, I reckon New South Wales would be the next one, if not WA, uh, even though there's not a great deal of the game over there. But, um, yeah, it's... It very, it very nearly happened in WA not that long ago. There was yeah. there was a time not very long ago, um, probably, oh, probably a bit over 10 years, probably 10 or... 12 or 14 years ago i can't remember the exact year but it nearly it nearly happened in wa and um yeah like it was it was very very close there was a few incidents that happened over there and um yeah like i wish i had the answers mate and i I wish i could do more and um i feel a little bit guilty for not doing more at times apart from writing letters and 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 sharing things on social media and that but end of the day um I, I've sort of come to the point now where I just think what will be will be, um, and I think that um, we either we're either going to learn we're either going to learn from a big smack on the bum and a big lesson, yeah, or we're not. We're just gonna we're just gonna continue the way we are, which is very unorganised, very uncoordinated, very just completely um, just just no unity whatsoever. It's been like this for years now. That's and just the hunting and shooting community in general. Yeah, that's not just yep. by hunters. And that's right. And it's and 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 it's it's um. I think we. I think a lot of us sort of um have got into this sort of comfort zone where we think that these organisations are going to look after everything, and they don't have the. They just they just don't they simply don't have what it takes at at the most basic yeah. level to 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 be dealing with this stuff. They don't have the funding. Um, people get burnt out, um, and yeah, it it is just a product to me. It's just I, I hate to be so simplistic, but it's just a product of where society is at. That we are like our ancestors would be just rolling in their graves, yeah. thinking, "Are you serious? Like there is enough people." lobbying the government about this particular issue compared to all the other things that are going on in the world right now this is enough of an issue for people that they want to stop it like it's like it's 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 just it's just hard to even fathom and but that's where society is at that's how 
that's how fucked up we are as a species right now. That's an indicator of how fucked up we are as a as an as a species on this planet. That's where we've got to. That there are people who are sitting there worrying about you going and hunting animals with a bow. Yeah, that's exactly. where we're at. That, that's let's face it. That's where we are at right now. But it's also it's just hard to comprehend. It's also funny though that. In across Europe, these countries that have had bow hunting banned for years are now reversing those those bans yep. across it. Bulgaria, yep. that was one of it. You you were one of the what the first bow hunters over there. Uh, they they legalized it in two thousand nine. I, okay. I only started hunting there in about two thousand sixteen or something. Yeah. But yeah, no, that, you're dead right. You're exactly right. The the European Bow Hunting Union and like they they've done a lot of work over there. The reason why it was the reason why it was frowned upon over in Europe was because it was the bow was, um, or the major reason was because the bow was always considered as a poaching weapon. Yeah. Because it made no noise. Robin so Hood. there was there was a there was a yeah Robin Hood and his mates. So there was a period there, like obviously after rifles became like basically after any kind of gun became a thing, um, that bows were used in a way that was um, yeah bows were used to poach. Yeah. Um, in in a lot of parts of Europe, because people could get away with it because they weren't making any sound, um, and that's why. Well, that's a major reason why it it, it was it made illegal in a lot of in, in a lot of countries over there. But things are changing. Look at Russia; it's the biggest country in the world, and they've just got it over the line there a few years ago. Um, so bow hunting is legal in Russia now. After God knows when it was actually made. I don't actually know when it was made illegal. I should know that, but I don't. But I know. Now it's legal, and that's the biggest chunk of land on this whole planet. Um, and there's really great efforts happening. Um, they're slowly making ground. They're making ground they in Europe all the time. I wouldn't what's, be surprised if Austria and Germany and what's um, the um, old- trad guy's name over there? Um, he does a fit. He did a fair bit over here of bow hunting down here he's been uh, yeah i know who um, you mean yeah from denmark he's a crazy yeah, denmark. bastard yeah um died. i'm so here, bad hunt, with names hunted hunted with carl brown and um yeah he stayed at my house yeah you starts with the u uric ulrich ulrich Oscar. yeah yeah ulrich yeah yeah so ulrich yeah like yeah like great advocate um yeah he's a vet actually he's he's studied veterinary science but um yeah, like it's it's they're winning they're winning over there. They're they're slowly. He's been doing awesome awesome work. I yeah. think I think yeah. he's he's a part of the reason that bow hunting's been legalized in Denmark, from yep. from my understanding. Um, and he does all the training courses, you know, hunts hunts the roe deer and all that with the with the trad gear, and that's yep. insane to see. So I think we've got to be like Australia is sort of generally behind in a lot of things. Like, like when you look at a lot of other, um, facets of society, I guess Europe is generally going to be ahead of the ball game. Like they're certainly not behind They're They, they're usually in front with a lot of things. Yeah. I think we've got to be very aware of those sorts of issues and, and what they're doing and, and, and sharing knowledge like, like and especially science-based knowledge, like what the Ashby found. I'm not sure if you've heard of the Ashby Foundation, yep. but just just science-based um, studies, which is what what holds weight. It's not it's not you and I sharing things on Facebook that holds weight. It's it's science at, yeah, at, at the doc- end of the day. That's what we've that's what that's what we've created around us in terms of our society. Doctor, it's got to have some science behind it. Yeah, so the Ashby Foundation—they're doing some amazing work at the moment, and every anyone that doesn't know what they're doing 
if you're a bow hunter, you need to know and you need to go and follow them and you need to support them. To be mm. honest, like you need to you need to get up to speed with this. Meeted if I if, if I may be blunt, yeah, that's that's what I would say. Um, there's a lot of stuff happening there, and and we all need to be aware of this stuff and 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 understanding like what's going on where and and how we can be involved. Um, sharing stuff on Facebook and Instagram has extremely minimal value in terms of actually making shit happen. It's yeah. it's very very. Um, it's just an echo chamber. We're we're only we're only just. We're all seeing the same shit and sharing the same shit to each other and, and sort of not really – a lot of us don't really look out of our own little sort of circle and our own sphere of, of what's going on. And, it's um, the letter we, campaigns that really do the so. – That's a big deal too. That's a great thing. Letter campaigns do make a difference and, and, and it's so easy to be lazy and not – not take that five minutes or, or or take the time. It's so easy to just go, oh, no, everyone else will do it. Like, I'm not going to make a difference. But that does make a difference. Yeah, it does. Letters, absolutely. Letter campaigns absolutely make a difference. It because, really does. Um, Daniel from Firearm Owners United, um, he wrote up a one of the letters for um, the proposed bow hunting ban on behalf of Firearms Owners United. And... He's done stuff for suppressors in Australia and stuff like that, and he's getting really, really good results through these letters. So, yeah, if you're listening and you haven't done it, um, Firearm Owners United have the letter template for the proposed bow hunting ban and also Chaser as well, um, or Chasser, Chaser, whatever they are. Um, they have a great yep. letter as well for people to go through, chuck your, chuck your postcode in. If you don't, you know, it shouldn't be really a... Um, an Australian-wide thing, so just Google a um, Adelaide postcode and chuck that postcode in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's there's easy ways. Yeah, there's easy ways around those little technicalities, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, like no, it's an interesting time, mate. Like it's um, yeah, it's very scary. It's very very scary. What's what's potentially happening in SA? We don't really have all the answers yet. I I don't know. I don't think anything's happened for certain. Nothing's really set in concrete yet. But, um, yeah, um, we all need to be doing whatever we can um, because isn't it going to be a shit feeling when we go, oh, wish I had a, just done a little bit more or I wish I had to listen to what he said or yeah. listen to what – you know what I mean? Like I, I, I just – yeah, it's going to be a really shit feeling to look back and – and it's harder to get things back after they're lost than 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 defending them in the first place and and keeping them in place. It's a it's a hell of a lot harder trying to win something back. But um, yeah, it's um what will be will be. That's that's yeah. one thing I've sort of um learnt in my life is what will be will be. You you've got to do everything you can and can't just sort of sit back and accept everything that happens. But um. At the end of the day, what will be will be, and we will. Um, our chicken, our our chickens will come home to roost. So whether we, whether we get it right or whether we whether whether we haven't got it right, um, our chickens will come home to roost, and we'll we'll yeah we'll only know in due course. Exactly. What are your thoughts? It's been thrown around for the bow hunting community in Australia for a while, and even more so now that these proposed bans and Tasmania ban and all of those things, um, like a proficiency course to be able to bow hunt. So that's what Yurik's doing through Denmark. He runs these yep. 
courses what do you think even though that they're a barrier to entry you know um well there's a lot of history to this um and i'm not a i'm not an authority on any of this at all but i've i've sort of witnessed a fair bit of stuff and seen a fair bit of i've seen sort of um the different politics over the years and the different organizations and the different characters that have been in positions of power over various various phases and yeah I've, i have seen a fair bit of stuff go down over the years and let's face it the aba do have a proficiency course you, they do have a proficiency course but i don't know one serious like i hate that's probably a pretty brazen thing to say but i don't i don't actually know one serious bowhunter that is a member of aba no and that's a problem what why why is that why why is that why am i not a member of aba um, I've, I can give you a thousand reasons why I'm not, but yeah. I'm not. And they are, they are allegedly right now the peak in inverted commas, peak bow hunting organization in this country. And, um, whatever formula they've attempted to, to run over the last three or four decades has not worked. Let's face it. Um, there's no, there's no unity. There's no, um, I know we're like trying to herd a herd a bunch of cats, but there must be a formula that creates some more unity than what there has been. And I think at the moment when things are when things are really starting to when there's really big risks of losing things, like for example, being able to hunt with a bow in an entire state of our country, I don't know if we're gonna get oh, and uh, the way I see things working is, um, like I think, I think ABA just, just like there's there's a whole there's a whole th- heap of things to think. Like there's there's a lot of things I would like to say, but I won't. But I think basically their downfall has been it's gone too archery focused, and there's been too much focus on making profits instead of actually protecting bow hunting. Yeah, my and, thing um, with ABA been way too many egos as well has has been a big issue, and egos have always been a problem in bow hunting from yeah. from day dot. Yeah, my, um, my thing with ABA is, has always been um, that, you know, um, when I first started bow hunting, I shot a few animals um, and I've seen people in some of the ABA chats wanting to know how certain broadheads performed. And, you know, just starting out, I took some photos of entries and exits of different broadheads I'd been using, posted them up in the chats, boom, kicked out of the ABA um, groups immediately, you know. Can't show this stuff. I, I feel like they've just been in the shadows. They want to stay out of the light and they just don't want any attention. Anything that can be, that can bring the attention their way, they don't want anything to do with it. And I think that's kind of been their downfall, you know? Um, not really well, embracing but, hunting, like you're saying. Right now, like, I bet, I can bet you any money they wouldn't have a. a, a like they wouldn't know how many bow hunters there are in Australia. No. They wouldn't be within five thousand or ten thousand of the of the real figure. And bow hunting it's it's growing so quickly. There's Fair so right. many people out there right now that are keen and want to get into it or they've bought a bow and they're 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 trying to they're trying to um um get into bow hunting and, and they, they, they're frothing, you know, like they're they're keen and they, they want to make a start but that's probably the first thing we need to know right now. How many of us are there? How many bow hunters are there in the country right now? And no one knows that answer. No one would even have the slightest clue. No. 
because the people who are the mo- in the most senior sort of sort of the people who are most involved in it are either trying to make money out of it, so they're they're owning that they've got shops or distributorships or whatever, and their focus is making money because that's yeah. their business. Um, there's there's a lot of focus on on the administration of archery because archery is a big thing, and there's a there's a major difference between being a bow hunter and being an archer. There's a lot of people who are both. There's a big crossover between both, but there's a lot of people who there's a lot of archers who don't care about bow hunting. They don't Lots. care if bow hunting illegal in South Australia. They just want to go and shoot targets. Then there's a lot of people like me who aren't archers. I'm not an archer. I, I used to go to a lot of shoots when I was a kid, but I don't, I'm, I don't I don't consider myself an archer. I practice at a target before I go hunting and throughout the course of a season, I, I like I'm an archer when I'm not hunting, when I'm shooting my bow, but I don't go and do competitive archery. It's just not – I'm not interested and I don't have the time. Um, so you've got these – different categories um with different levels of care and different levels of sort of understanding of each other's position yeah um we have no idea how many bow hunters are out there but if we did which would be with social media these days and the way we are so connected with our net with the networks that we have now i reckon if we started a campaign next week if you and me and we listed 20 other people and said right we're going to find out how many bow hunters are in this country by postcode. Yeah. Anyone that you know is a bow hunter, let's put their name on a spreadsheet. That we don't need their bloody email address and their, their we don't need to know their cat's name or anything like that. We just <laughs> need to know just their name, you know, like just the basic details, just their name so we can we can get a count. I reckon if we put a really serious campaign together in the next 2 weeks, we would get a very accurate number of how many keen active bow hunters there are in this country and that would be a starting point just to actually just to that would be the most basic um starting point to any kind of progress forward then i think if we if there was a way of just getting us together and and creating a an organization or some sort of body or some sort of movement that was all about the protection and the promotion and the um, protect protecting the the future of bow hunting. Then that was the that was the not measuring game, not not um, not trying to make money and buy properties that certain people can go and hunt. Like just purely focused on the protection and promotion of of bow hunting into the future. If you went to everyone and said, how, how much are you willing to chuck in per year for this? Like if I said to you, mate, how, how much would you be willing to chuck in per year if you knew that that money was going towards actively like a, like a version of Blood Origins that was just purely Australian yeah. bow hunting? How much would you chuck in per year? Look, it's, that's a, it's a hard one, you know. If you know it, the money's going to the right thing, you know, people would be happy to chuck in, you know, 100 bucks a year as, like yeah, a, as a membership. Yeah, that's a good answer. If they're, some, the if they're getting something back from it, um, you know, you get some some clubs, you don't really get anything back back from it, you know. Um, so it, it is a hard one. Money's always a tight thing. Then, like you said, um, earlier you chuck egos and people wanting stuff and to make money out of it. But yeah, if you had like a, um, bow hunters of Australia, um, group that was there to fight these 
these issues when they come up in parliament and stuff like that and not hide like certain other organizations do you know and stay away from the trophy side of stuff stay away from the the target side of stuff but just put all their focus and energy into promoting archery as a clean ethical sport promoting ways for people to get into it so that these incidents with target tip arrows stop happening you know if we put out a way say this is how you get into it this is how you this is what you do this is what you should do this is what you don't do you don't go around shooting kangaroos and seals and all of this with target tipped arrows um you know this is why you don't um because there's not heaps of that information isn't broadly available exactly yeah it's there's there's so many things that could be done that don't like that don't cost a huge amount of money um there's 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 so much work that could be done and there's a lot of there's so many people out there that are there's a lot of people in our community that have a lot to offer you know like yeah. this the, the 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 labor is out there like the the brains and the and the personalities and the and the general labor and the everything's everything's there everything's out there it just doesn't it whatever we've done to this point hasn't worked that's let's let's like without criticizing too much what what has been done to this point has not worked and yeah. we're not in a position where we sh- we're not in a situation where we want to be right now as australian bow hunters definitely not so we've really got to ask ourselves what 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 can we do or what ideas are there to to move forward and part of me wants to be involved in that and 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 try and yeah just try and spark that off but another part of me just goes you know what like it's it's probably just going to go the same way as it has for the last 30 years and there's going to be the too many too many different little fractures and splits and and egos and 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 disagreements and whatever so i yeah i'm in two minds a lot of the time mate i don't know what the I don't know what the solution is, but um, it does worry me that yeah, like I'll, I want to be able to teach my son about bow hunting and and take him hunting yeah. and 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 um, pass it on. I want him to pass it on to his kids and 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 so on. Like that's a really important part of my life. Is that is that um, intergenerational? Um, yeah, passing on of skills and passing on of particularly bow hunting. So yeah, it's a it's a massive conversation, and what you and I aren't gonna you aren't Definitely you and not. I aren't gonna have the answers tonight. <laughs> but maybe we'll at least maybe get we'll the conversation least, um, started. Yeah, just spark a bit of thought, maybe, and um. And that's the thing. I've yeah. always stayed away from clubs because of the political side of stuff. I hate politics. I hate all of that stuff. So I've always Same. avoided all of that. And then looking back, it's like, well, if I was a member of a club, maybe the voice would be out there better. But then your egos and all of that stuff that you've mentioned earlier, you know, dick sizing <laughs> competitions yep. and that, it's just not what it is for me. I like going out with my select group of mates, you know, bringing on a new person in every year, a couple people teaching them, you know, whether it's rifle hunting or bow hunting or both or fishing, you know. You know, here in South South Australia, we can go bow fishing. So I take out yeah. a load of people out bow fishing, and that's their first introduction, as it was mine, to bow hunting. And that just yep. ticks off that thing. Like I've taken guys out bow fishing, and then they've gone out and we've got them rabbits, and then they've gone out to goats, and then they've worked their way up to deer, you know. Um, 
And I prefer that than bow hunting clubs where, you know, you have to go there and do this and then you have to get this many yep. shoots in to go to do this hunt, you know. Um, and the, yep. it, it seems like they just beat down people to do do it the way that they want to do it rather than actually teaching them and helping them out as yep. best. But Absolutely, they do yeah. teach them and help them out as well at the same time as well. So it's 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 a hard conversation, but let's let's move on to a, a couple of happier yeah, that's topics. Enough, that's enough politics, mate. <laughs> we don't want to depress all the listeners. No, um, no, that's enough. What would be your top beginner tip to getting into bow hunting? Well, that's a great question, and I've got a very very clear answer. Um, spend at least a quarter of the time that you spend practicing at a target and shooting a bow and learning how to shoot it accurately, spend at least 25% of that time learning how to sharpen broadheads properly. I think this is a massive, I see this is a, I had a huge conversation with a, with a Kiwi guy today actually about, about this exact thing. And, and, um, it's it's currently from, just from my observations, we're losing the plot in terms of our understanding of of the importance of broadhead sharpness. Um, it's 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 to me it's a it's a to me it's one of the my biggest um, bugbears. Like I, I see it as a major issue. Um, there are certain broadheads that do come sharp out of a packet, and my first bit of advice is if it says pre-sharpened, don't believe it because not all broadheads that say pre-sharpened on the packet are sharp. They are not often sharp. The only broadheads that I've ever seen come sharp out of a packet are the ones that are replaceable blade style broadheads, like a muzzy or a rad or a, or a slick trick or or the or your expandable even your expandable broadheads. Yeah. Those those stainless steel blades that are basically like surgical razor steel. blades, surgically sharpened. They are sharp. They are sharp. Because you can grab one of those blades and you can shave hair off your arm, and and that's sharp. When you can shave the hair cleanly off your arm, that's that's what's called sharp. If it doesn't do that, if the broadhead doesn't do that, you do not go hunting. Don't go hunting because it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if it's a rabbit or a goat or a cat or a elephant or a or a or an ibex or a bighorn sheep. It doesn't matter what the animal is. There should be no there should be no. It should not even come into your mind what the animal is, or your perceived value of that animal. Or every animal should be treated exactly the same, no matter what it is. If yeah. you're shooting, if you've made the decision to shoot an arrow at it and try and kill it with a bow, you should be giving it exactly the same level of respect. And that level of respect needs to include and needs to be at the very most important level. And the most paramount level, that broadhead needs to be absolutely scary sharp. And if you can't figure it out, go and learn. Go and spend some time and learn. Research it, get some advice, figure it out. Don't just get lazy and go, oh, no, that's sharp enough. Um, it's being lost in, in our culture at the moment. I don't know whether it's a laziness thing with, with the next generation or whether it's from misinformation. I know of multiple stories of even even broadhead manufacturers in this country spruiking about the fact that broadheads don't need to be that sharp and you just need to hit animals in the right place yeah. well that's absolute bullshit 
That's absolute bullshit. And the fact that people are saying stuff like that is criminal. Um, accuracy and broadhead sharpness are exactly, to me, of the same importance. You, there's no point being able to shoot well and hit a 20-cent coin at 50 yards if, you don't, if you're not shooting a razor-sharp broadhead at that animal. Don't go hunting. Yeah. You don't deserve, you don't deserve to be hunting with a bow unless you have got ridiculously sharp broadheads on the front of your arrows. That's the number one thing. The accuracy bit, shooting a bow accurately, you can figure that out. Like you'll you'll get there. You'll like it's just it's it's it, there's so much information out there now, and like we've got we've got people like Brad Murphy and Brad Smith and and um and and. Ian Summers and like there's there's a lot of really knowledgeable people being so giving with their their knowledge these days and that that wasn't a thing not that long ago. Those bow there's hunting course, seminars are. Yep, just they are just awesome. absolutely just the ducks nuts. Like the fact that that's happening now is just such a pleasing thing for someone like me to see that that's happening and that 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 is available to people. So I think. Um, yeah, like there's more knowledge out there. You've got more um, – there's more um, exposure to that and more um, more opportunity to learn yeah. than there used to be. Because when I was a kid, even when I got my first compound, that that didn't exist. Like you, there, there wasn't there, – there was some sort of basic internet, but you couldn't, you couldn't figure out how to, how to shoot a bow properly or how to tune a bow or time. Like the, it wasn't the same. But that knowledge has grown and it's been shared a lot more. And there's, we're lucky in this country that we've got a real lot of, we've got a lot of, um, we've just got a lot of really awesome human beings that are willing to share that information and, and are even turning it into court. We do. Anyone who's thought about it that hasn't done it, that's thinking, oh, maybe I should do that, just go and do it. Go and do it. It's go insane. and learn from these people. It's insane how quick these things are selling out. Like. That, uh, yep. like his, he shares that he's got five, six spots available and then, bam, within an hour, yep. they're all taken up. Um, it's definitely... And that's how it should be. Yeah. It's well, definitely a valuable they, they, tool. They, sh- they should be booked out because bow hunting is, is growing and a lot more people are getting into it and it's, yep. it's, it's growing legs. So they should all be booked out. And, and they definitely would, like in those courses, definitely cover... Um, broad edge sharpness as a as a big thing but we just spend so much time focusing on trying to hit a um like i said a 20 cent coin at 50 yards like that's great that's yeah. that's awesome if, if you can do that every time good good for you i can't hit a 20 cent coin at 50 yards every time i, I certainly can't um you've got to emphasize just as much um the 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 skill of sharpening a broadhead as as you do the accuracy you need to be accurate enough to hit the vitals of that animal and put it down quickly and humanely you absolutely need to no matter what the animal is doesn't matter what the species is you need to be able to hit the vitals and you need to be able to place that arrow in the right spot to put it down quickly yeah but the only way you're going to put it down quickly is with a ridiculously sharp broadhead and the difference between a ridiculously sharp broadhead and one that's just not quite ridiculously sharp is absolutely huge if you understand how a broadhead actually works. And I think a lot of a lot of people out there, even people that have been hunting for a while now, don't actually really understand the science behind what a broadhead is actually doing when it goes through an animal and what's happening at a really micro level. 
um, what a broadhead is doing when it's razor sharp. Like if if you have a if you have a a, a really super 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 sharp broadhead, that the the very edges of that broadhead, all of those cutting edges are cutting literally millions and millions of small capillaries, not just the big arteries and the big veins, not like in inverted commas, popping the lungs. You're not popping, you're not popping anything. You're just, you, your arrow, your broadhead is just going through the lungs, which are a, a vital organ. That super sharp edge at a micro level is cutting through very cleanly millions of capillaries that all join together um, the the volume of blood and the clean the, the the cleanness of that cut can't seal quickly. There's a big difference between a tear and a, a like a the, the kind of um, the kind of injury that a that a not sharp broadhead makes compared to what a really super sharp broadhead makes. Yeah. And at a micro level, when that arrow passes through an animal or passes through the vitals. Um, there's a there's a there's an absolutely massive difference, and when you've done a bit of hunting, you'll you'll start to see that. You'll start to see the difference between <laughs> what damage a really super sharp broadhead does, and and what one that's not super sharp does. Yeah. And the advantage with that also is when if you don't pull a perfect shot, and if things aren't absolutely perfect, and something happens, which we know it does, sometimes you you don't get it absolutely perfect. That super super sharp broadhead's probably still going to do the job. It's probably still going to pull that animal up and 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 cause enough hemorrhaging that that animal's body just cannot control that it's going to it's going to bleed out, or at least pull it up pretty quickly and and allow you to to um, finish it quickly and humanely. So that's one thing that needs to be hammered. And I yeah. think yeah, just from my own observations, that's something that's being lost in this generation that's coming through now. And it's definitely and, um, a good, good, good thing to bring up. And as you brought up before, Dr. Ed Ashby, he um, goes into great depth about all of this stuff. Um, the Meat Eater podcast, they had him on. And, yeah, I definitely learned a lot listening to him talk about how, how broadheads work and, you know, his shot buffalo, Cape buffalo, just animals all around the world just working out what the best broadhead combination is, what, you know, two blade, you know, whatever. Um, and he, yeah. He's shot it all. And, yeah, he breaks it down on the mechanics of a broadhead, which is absolutely very vital for bow hunters to, to know. We all need to understand that. Like we need to – if you're going to go bow hunting, if you want to be a bow hunter, you've got – that's like the most basic – it's the very most – like the most fundamental yeah. thing you need to understand, and many of us don't. Yeah, there's a lot of people running around that don't don't understand, um, just don't understand the actual concept at a basic level, and they un they understand that they've got to shoot the thing in the right spot, and they probably understand where the where that spot is, but this stuff's just as important. And one thing I will mention is, not all broadheads are built for every purpose, and not all broadheads are easy to sharpen. Yeah. Um, there is a big, there's a, there's a lot of variation in different techniques to sharpen broadheads. It's not, you don't just use the same tool for every, every different broadhead. Like it's, you may need to have a, yeah, you may need to customize what, what tools you've got or what kind of files or what kind of system you use for each broadhead. And some of them are real pricks to sharpen. Some of them, you just, some of them, no matter what you do, you, you, you're going to probably get frustrated and, and, and just go, oh, well, this is close enough. 
it's not close enough. There, there should be no, there's no such thing as close enough with yeah. broad edge sharpness. It doesn't exist. It's either shaving the hairs off your arm cleanly or it's not. And if it's not, you don't go hunting. So what's some it's tips that simple. Tips from you um, for sharpening broadheads? Tips from me, um, either learn, either, either, either follow advice from like, cause they're all different, right? So yeah, every, every broadhead is different. Like some of the one piece, three blade steel broadheads that are, that are out. Like, I, like an example is the, um, G5 Montech. Like I still see people spruiking them as a, as a great broadhead and that I, I think they're absolutely I think they should nearly be illegal. I, I, I just think they're they're an absolutely they're they're very weak and yep. very very difficult. No matter even if you follow G5's uh, exact sort of description on how to sharpen them and buy their own um, diamond, like they've got a little diamond. This is years ago that I had them, but I tried them anyway. I didn't. I didn't use them for very long. But like, there are there are broadheads that are just virtually impossible to get razor sharp. Yeah. A, a standard a standard two bladed broadhead like the Cayuga old school um, is very very easy to sharpen. Um, there's occasions when there's diff- there's 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 variables in this hardness of the steel, and that can be a problem sometimes. And that's that is an issue with some broadheads sometimes. Certain batches come out where the steel's too hard, and you you just can't you can't get into it. You can't sort of cut into it with whatever you're using. But any kind of any kind of two blade broadhead that has a a reasonable um, um, blade angle on it, like there are some quite silly designs out now that have just a stupidly blunt um, angle on the on the broadhead, which achieves absolutely nothing whatsoever. It's just taking all the energy out of the broadhead and taking all the cutting power away but there's a there's a nice balance between the the steepness of that angle of the of the cutting blade um and the and the cutting width um there's no need like you might as well just shoot a shot like some of those broadheads you might as well just put a little tiny shovel on the end of you <laughs> like what what's the point what like yeah if you shoot a really sharp shovel into it, like a little mini shovel that's been sharpened into an animal like what what's really the point of that it's just it's it's just silly it's um there's people out there just trying to create something just so that yeah like just so that they can have their own little brand or their own little thing going on but yeah there's yep. plenty of good broadheads out there like a good example is the Cayuga old school or the Cayuga zot the angle's perfect the 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 ratio of of width to length is perfect so you've got that 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 um optimum um angle on the cutting edge and for me, like I, I use a bog, what's called a bog file, um, to get them to, to really get them um, sharp to begin with. Um, bog file, I think, I think I've always heard that they're used by panel beaters. And there was a bloke, um, a, an old legend, Dave Pender, who's still around. He's still actively hunting. But Dave yeah. used to make a product called the Razor's Edge Broadhead Sharpener, which is essentially a bog file mounted on a piece of timber. Um, they're probably about a foot long, probably yeah, roughly a foot long. Um, and you just you basically just drag each side of each each blade along that bog file backwards towards yourself, um, giving an equal number of strokes on each side. That to me is my surefire way of getting any two blade broadhead sharp. Like I know that's unless the steel has been hardened so much that it, it it's just so hard that those teeth won't even get into it. Um, those bog files work amazingly well. Um, something like the Cayuga pilot cut, for example, you've got to be, a, it's a bit more of a specific technique yeah. and, um, 
you've got to learn that technique. It's not the same technique as the other broadheads because you've got that double, that, that two different angles on that blade. So it's yeah. a very different shaped broadhead to anything else. So you've got to, and the Kyogre followers have done a good job of putting tutorials on their website. So you can, anyone can go on their website, look at how it's done, see a video. They even sell the right file. They've been so helpful. Yeah, if you go and buy that file, which is cost bugger all, and and watch that video, which is not going to take much effort, you'll learn. You'll pick it up. And it takes a little bit of learning, and you've got to invest a little bit of time, but you're going to figure it out. Um, at the end of the day, there's going to be different techniques for different heads, but you've got to figure it out. That's your duty. You have to figure it out. You can't be lazy. You can't blame the broadhead manufacturer if it if it's that hard to sharpen that you can't get it sharpened, go and find another broadhead. Yeah. Go and go and find another broadhead because if you're if you if you can't figure it out and it's too hard, go and find something else because otherwise just don't go in the bush. Don't go and try and bow on. This yeah. shit's really important. It's really really important. It's the most basic shit that we need to be getting right. Yeah, no, that's 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 really good good answer for that one. Um and I hope people take a lot out of it. Um, like you said, the Cayuga stuff, they have amazing videos on how to sharpen their, their broadheads and, um, especially the pilot cuts cause they are that, that tricky shape. But, um, yep. yeah, there's, there's plenty of stuff, stuff on how to sharpen it. But even, and like, just to, just to interrupt you there, mate, like I, I often say to people when they first start, like, I know there's a lot of advertising around different broadhead manufacturers and there's a lot of hype as there is with arrows and bows <laughs> and whatever. Like there's so much hype and everyone's trying to follow the – everyone's trying to do whatever's the coolest thing of of that of that moment sort of thing. Like yeah. that's just how anything – any kind of marketing works and there's people who are good at marketing and that's, that's great. That's how the world works. But um, like um, – God, I forgot what I was going to say then. Shit, I had something <laughs> important to say. Um, oh, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, look, look, you don't have to go and get a resharpenable broadhead. You can go and buy um, something like a Muzzy or a Rad or um, those replaceable blade broadheads. They're very, they're very trustworthy and very proven. People have like the, the guys in the states and and over here have been using them for for virtually generations now and. Those blades come out of the packet razor sharp and you can replace them. You can buy a packet of – muzzies are quite affordable, for example. You can buy a packet of muzzies for not that much. Um, you're going to put them together. You're going to screw them onto the end of your arrow. You know those blades are surgically sharpened. Yeah. You, can buy, you can buy little packets of replaceable blades. So if you shoot a – say if you shoot a, a fallow bark and – you don't want to mess around and resharpen those blades. You just put brand new ones in there, throw them in the bin. If you don't want to spend the time resharpening them and saving yourself like, like $2.50, just put fresh blades on there. Yeah, exactly. what's, it, what's it going to cost you? And, and that's, that's what I say to people who are starting out is it's probably better to start with a broadhead that has replaceable blades um, just to begin with and get, get a feel for it and, and really know that you're, yeah, like just takes one thing out of the equation and, and then maybe as you progress a little bit and you want to maybe save a little bit of money and, and have something that's that's reusable, then go to a then go to a something like Cayuga or a or a or a whatever else, you know, like yeah. something that's resharpenable. So yeah, that's often yeah, I say that to people, yeah. Yeah, I started out with um NAP uh, Thunderheads, replaceable yep. blade. Awesome, awesome head Great for broadhead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So What's the funniest thing that's happened to you out on a hunting trip? 
。
he's just and he was he was just flailing in the water and splashing and just trying to trying to figure out what was going on. Anyway, I was I just I just fell to the ground laughing like I couldn't even <laughs> I couldn't even try to help like I was just pissing myself so much I fell to the ground. But luckily, Paulie, I think I think it was, no, it was Betty Chambers. Ben Chambers had enough. He had enough sort of like wherewithal about him to to go down and rescue Rod and jumped in the boat and, and managed to not fall in himself and dragged him into the boat and got him in. But oh, that's just one story. I've Rod's had a few issues like that. Like I've, I remember once we were crossing a log in a similar sort of area, and um, like we'd had a big day hunting, like like out some in some back block sort of thing, and. Like it was hot and it was proper hot Cape York weather and there was this one spot where you could cross this river that had a log across. Like you had to you had to use this log to get across and it wasn't the easiest log to get across. You had to sort of be quite balanced. And anyway, he got to the log first and 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 I was just up on the bank, sort of just out of sight, taking my boots off. I, I'd sort of figured that I'd be have better balance with bare feet than boots. And I'm just taking my boots off and I'm stuffed. Like I'd had a big day. I'd probably already walked 25 k's for the day and whatever and. Next minute, I hear this big splash. We'd seen big croc slides right there as we crossed it to get over that to that point. On the way over, we'd seen all these big croc slides and seen a few salties drop into the water. And that and um, next minute, I hear this big splash, and I just hear butcher, and I'm like, "Fuck, what is this going to be?" You know, and I've, I've only I've got one shoe off and one still half on. I ran down the bank, ran to this log, and he's. He had his he'd fallen off, slipped off the log, and he'd somehow got his feet back up on top of like onto the log, but his chest and his torso was caught in branches in the water, like just with his back facing the like back facing the, the ground in the water. Like just asking for a croc, just just a perfect <laughs> morsel for a croc to come and just eat, you know, like just completely defenseless, just had no no defense whatsoever and like i'm out there on this log trying to balance and trying to trying to figure out a way to drag him back up to safety <laughs> eventually got him sorted out but no nah, there's been there's probably funnier ones than those but um nah, yeah, good. <laughs> there's been a lot of there's been a lot of you gotta if you want to laugh you gotta hang out with funny bastards eh? that's yeah. what i've learned there's no point hanging around with boring boring um people yeah you gotta you gotta be around funny bastards if you want to uh-huh. laugh and i've been I've been pretty lucky in that in that particular little um, aspect of life. Yeah, I could imagine what's gone down in some of your hunting camps. <laughs> you, yeah, you definitely hang around uh, some characters. That's for sure. There has been some funny shit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's. Yeah, you got to laugh, eh? Like you can't you can't be too serious about exactly. anything. You got to you got to laugh, and you got to have that camaraderie, and and um, yeah, you got to. Like oh that's that's how I operate anyway. I, I just I just yeah I need to, I need to be around funny people. Yes, yeah, because I'm not very funny myself. So I need to it needs to be somehow supplemented by other people <laughs> around me. So um yeah no it's it's a big part of it for me is that yeah just just that humour and yeah there's a lot of there's always a lot of characters in in bow hunting you know like there's always there's and that's been the same since I was a kid. I've always been around my old man's mates were funny as well. You know there's always there's always a lot of humour yeah. around the campfire. Yeah. Yeah, some of those pub catch-ups after the deer expos are, are pr- pretty wild and pretty funny, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's been some crackers, eh? Hey? Yeah, unfortunately, because I've done Snake Island this year and got uh, New Zealand coming up, I won't be doing the uh, the the deer expo this year, but I'll, I can't wait to get back to another one. Um, yeah. Top five dream animals. What do you have left? What's... Well, 
Um, have you taken some of your dream five. animals or? Yeah, oh, got, definitely. Got a couple yeah, left. Like, yeah, well, number one, like if we, if let's let's just probably, um, I'd say my number one dream animal of all time was was a bighorn sheep. Like yeah. that was always my holy grail. Um, that he was always my number one um, from when I was quite young, and nothing will ever surpass that. You know, like I've ne- I'll never have any kind of um, I'll never have any. There's nothing that there's no dream that I have that's bigger than that. What that was, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, I never imagined that was possible to 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 even have a chance to to attempt it. Um, it's um and 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 it's it's hard to describe what that whole journey was like from from the time that from the time I booked it and the only reason I booked it was I got divorced like yeah the day my ex-wife moved out of the house I went down to the bank in Chinchilla the next day and put a six grand deposit on that hunt because I was like I'm going sheep hunting I'm it it provided this amazing beacon and this amazing sort of light to look forward to and um at that time they'll like and it's probably still the same now if not worse but they'll you're booking three years in advance, like so. I like from that moment of booking, I was I was booking a hunt that was another three years in advance. So I booked it at, in the first week of 2012, and I hunted in November 2015. So nearly four years, really. But um, that was always my holy grail, I would say, and um, always will be. And and now it's something that's a memory and a and a and a, and a thing that's already happened, which is interesting to look back on and. And, but I still remember the emotion of, of um, the build-up to that hunt and and just what it was like being a kid dreaming about that sort of shit. You know? like I, I still remember what still remember what it was like even just just dreaming that that might be a thing that might happen one day, and I, I never imagined that it would. But um, it's hard to really determine what's number two, though. Like, uh, and it would be hard to determine what's number two, three, four, and five, to be honest. <laughs> Um, that, that, that's just so far ahead. Like I, I really have, um, I'm going hunting for desert sheep this year in, in Mexico. So like in December this year, I'll be going for another sheep. That'll be my second like North American sheep hunt. Um, again, never, 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 ever, ever imagined that could be, um, possible. Um, crazy circumstances by which it's sort of come about, um, and I love all the sheep, you know, like I love the other two North American sheep as well, like the doll sheep and the stone sheep. And I fantasize about hunting them one day and I think about them a lot every day. Every day I think about sheep, like every single day I think about sheep and I think about how can I possibly try and make one of these things happen. And um, it's a real, it's a, it is a goal. Like I, I won't, I will admit it is a goal. Like it is a goal to, to take the Grand Slam, which is yeah. the, the four North American sheep. Um, whether it happens or not, I don't really care at this stage. I'm not going to lose any sleep if I'm lying in my deathbed when I'm in my eighties or nineties going, fuck, I really should have gone door sheep hunting. You know, like I'm not, I know now that I'm not going to be having any regrets about what I've done or what I've attempted to do. So whatever happens, happens from here on in. Um, and I just really love the goats, you know. Like the, I love, I love the sheep, and I love the goats. So I love the four North American sheep. I love um, lots of other species of sheep. Some which are just completely unattainable, like some of the Argales. Um, just, just, just no. There's just no way I'd ever be able to afford them. Yeah. Nor is there really much of a chance of trying to get close enough to one with a bow. So it's well. 
Um, but the capras are a bit different. Capras sort of live in country where bow hunting's probably just a bit more um, doable. And um, one of my main goals is to is to take the capra slam, which like is a, is basically any of the tw- like any twelve of the of the of the capra species. And um, yeah, like I'm halfway through that now, so I've got That's six. Awesome. I've taken six capras. I've got six to go, um, and that I will do that. Like I, that's not something that maybe might happen. That's something that will that will happen. That's sick. So like, in that list, I've still like the mo- the most likely list of the six remaining would be one of the turs. I really want to hunt a tur, um, probably in Russia. There's three different species of tur, and, and I don't know really. Like I'm not sure exactly which one it'll be, but they're all pretty similar. Like yeah. they're not, there's not a huge difference between them. I'd love to get a tur. Um, I'm going to France this year to hunt two two species of chamois, so I'll add two more chamois to my list. So That's two different it. sub two different species. Um, I've got two two different chamois at the moment, but I'll be adding two, or hopefully hunt. Well, I will be hunting two more types this year. Um. I'll probably go back to Spain and hunt another ibex over there at some stage. There's there's um there's four different species of of um ibex in Spain. I've got one of them, and I'll probably go back for another. Um, Spain's a really awesome country to bow hunt in, and um, just such a cool place to visit. And it's it's reasonably affordable compared to a lot of the other ibexes. Um, so I think one of those six will be a, another Spanish ibex. Um, one that's sort of been on the agenda a little bit lately is the mountain goat in North America. So the, the North American mountain goat is, is definitely in that list of six. Um, absolutely obsessed with them and, um, cool looking animal. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. Like, and, and he's the only capra that lives, or he's the only capra that is from North America, you know, like they've got so many types of deer, like all the caribous and the different types of elk and all the different like deer species, the the the, the different white tails and the different black tails and different moose and whatever. Like, there's a lot of different deer. There's a few different sheep. There's a lot of different bears, but there's only one capra, just that one goat. And, Native um, he's, one, anyway, because they do have the ibex down in New Mexico. Oh yeah, you're right. That's a good. You pulled me up there, mate. You've got me there. <laughs> they're in, they're introduced though, yeah. They're not native. I was I was I was thinking native, native but yeah, dead yeah. right. The bez they're bezoar ibex that live down there in the yeah. Um, so yeah, the bezoar ibex. I've I got one in Turkey, so he's he's ticked off the list. But um, the other one would be a um, yeah, like another ibex in in Russia, which is called a cyan ibex or an or an Altai ibex. They're a they're pretty closely related to the mid Asian ibex, which is what you'll find in Kyrgyzstan and and Tajikistan and um, that Central Asia sort of area. Um, he's closely related to them, but he's he's separated as a different um, subspecies. And they really, they really, really interest me. And just Russia in general interests me. Like I just, I just really want to, really want to get to Russia. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's a big country with a lot of opportunities. The the war is a bit of a shit thing at the moment for yeah. a lot of yeah not only obviously the fact that i can't go hunting there is very minuscule compared <laughs> to the other issues that are there you know like it's a it's a real tragedy what's happening and yeah um it's it's really shit it's it's shit for a lot of different people and and um yeah so the, they're they're i guess your, your dream animals vary over time you know they do. um it's not probably something that stays the same and it's probably what you've what you've got your 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 
what you've got your mind set on at a particular point in time and that changes and that that changes from something that like for me and I can tell you from experience it can change from something that you think is so ridiculous that you just you don't even want to think about it because you you're like there's no way I can do that I yeah. can't do that I can't afford that I can't I'm not going to be a lucky one that gets one of them I'm going to go there and I'm going to fail I'm going to miss I'm going to I'm not going to see a legal ram so there's all these reasons why you can convince yourself that something's not possible right so you go from that end of the spectrum where where you where you have basically convinced yourself that something's not even possible, and then I can tell you that there's this whole journey from that point to when you're almost ten years past it, and you're looking back at it as a memory, and it's it's a memory. You can look at the photos, you can you can look at the mount in your trophy room, and you can and 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 at that point it's done, and it's it's been done for a fair while. So there's this whole process behind each each adventure and each species that it's going to vary between, um, between each one. Um, but yeah, I don't have an endless list, mate. I've got, yeah, like I'd love to get a Capra slam. And once I get those 12, there's not, there's not many other Capras that are really affordable or doable. Yeah. So I might get to 12 or 13 and that'll be probably it. Um, sheep, I won't, it's virtually important. Like I think only two or three people have ever got a over slam. Like it's not, it's really, really difficult to take 12. Have you um, taken sheep. a mouflon? Yeah, I've yeah. got a mouflon. I've got um, Barbary Bordad as well, which is Barbary sheep and and a bighorn. Um, so I think I'm only, I think it's only three that register at this point. But a tur, a tur registers for both. So if yeah. you get a tur, like any of those three tur register for both an oh, Ovis wow. and a Capra. Cool. So um, the tur are pretty affordable. Like they're friggin' hard. Like it's not a that's a really tough hunt with a bow, but. Um, yeah, like who knows? You just you just don't know what's what's around the corner. And now Russia's has opened up, and those turs are now available. Like the other two turs that only live in Russia, now that they're available, that sort of opens up to more over species. And you've got all the snow sheep over there, so there's quite a few snow sheep that are fairly bow huntable, and some of them are more affordable than what you'd what you'd actually think. Yeah. So that sort of opened things up. That's opened a lot of more. Like Russia has opened up a lot more opportunities for people to to chase their over slam. Um, I haven't got a Cape Buffalo. I really want to take a Cape Buffalo one day. I'd love to get a Bison one day. Um, yeah, but I'm not going to go and hunt a lion or an elephant or a, I'm not interested in grizzly yeah. bears or brown bears. Um, my list now is, um, yeah, my list now is fairly manageable, you know, like I've sort of done more than what I ever expected and, um, it's not an endless list and I'm not someone who's going to keep adding to that list. I'm not going to suddenly go, I want to shoot the tiny 10 and I'm going to go and chase all these little funny antelopes. And (laughs) yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not in that sort of, I'm just not in that. Um, that's just not what I'm going to do. The Capra's are cool, man. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty awesome, pretty awesome list. That's for sure. Like I said, I'm off to New Zealand, go chase tar and, you know, there's some chamois in the area, not many. I'd love to sit, at least see a chamois. Um, but yeah, those capra species are cool. And same with the sheep species. I've got a, I shot a high fence ordad with the bow while I was in Texas. Um, I really want to go hunt a free range one now after having yep. that experience because they're just a insane animal. I was, they're awesome. I was blown away once you boil out the skull and you pop the um the horn sheath off. Just how um, light their skulls are. It's mm. it's insane. Like that honeycomb, um, 
that their horns are made up of. It's just like a light, fluffy bit of honeycomb bone. And they're just yeah. like, as soon as someone comes around, I'll throw them the, I'll throw them a goat skull and then I'll hand them the Ordad skull. And they're like, what the fuck? What is this? What? It feels like bet, um, balsa wood. Like, <laughs> mm, It's amazing, eh? How they, yeah, they're, and they're, they're a really interesting species because they're, they're, Similar to the turs, they're they're kind of right on the verge between a um, goat and a sheep. Yeah, they're, they're right on that boundary between what the definition of a sheep is and, and a goat. They're 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 right there in the middle. And turs are turs are in the same boat, and that's why the major organisations don't. Yeah, they count both. Like the turs count for both. They count for a sheep and a and a goat. And like if you shoot all three of them, you've got three capras and three. Yeah. And three sheep, and that's, that's like insane. that's just hit. they're right on that. They're right in the. They're right on the center line between the two between the two families. Yeah. But, um, no, Audads are cool, man. They're they're awesome, and that's an affordable hunt. Like you can do yeah. some. You can go to Texas. It doesn't cost much to fly. To, you've been to Texas. Yeah, you know how yeah. cool it is. You know how you know how fun it is over there. Like oh, it's, it's a it's, it's an absolute it's a cool place, man. Oh, it's just off its head. Like it's just, especially being an Aussie. Like they just, they just, they just. <laughs> you just have to start talking, and they they gather around just to yeah. listen to your accent. You know, like it's so funny. But that's a really affordable hunt. If you shop Texas around, is, yeah, West Texas you, or Dad. Yeah, if you shop around, you don't have to. That's a really affordable. Um, it's a really affordable sheep hunt. Like that's a. That's something most people. It, it's within most people's reach to put away a little bit of coin and go and do a really amazing hunt like that in West Texas and go and hunt an ordad. You know, like and you don't have to go hunt a big ram. You can take ewes. You know, they're less than half the price, and they're just an yeah. awesome hunt as well. Like the ordad Absolutely. I shot was a was a ewe, but she was a big old ewe, and it was high fence. Not the same as a free range hunt, but it. Got me something cool that I could talk about. Uh, yeah, being absolutely. Over there. So, you know, some people get funny about high fence stuff. You know, it's is what it is. Um, I'm proud of it. I was I was pretty stoked. The uh, the the ranch owner is like, I've never had someone bow hunt successfully bow hunt one. You know, we normally can't get within a hundred, two hundred meters of them, and I shot it within ten minutes with a bow. So he was he was pretty blown away. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, a lot of the time. Yeah, there's a lot of stigma around high fence and and estates and that. And there's a lot of bravado around. Uh, yeah, like I don't, I'm not a big, um, I don't go out of my way to go hunting high fence, but I have once in in um, in in Africa. Like my first hunt overseas was in South Africa, and it was high fence. Like yeah. it was a, it was a huge property. It was ten thousand hectares, and there was holes cut specifically in the in the bottom of the fence so certain small animals could get over like get under and the bigger animals could jump over and there's certain animals that would probably couldn't go under or over but and it left me it left me with a little bit of a weird feeling but um it has its place and um what you'll find a lot of the time and that's what a lot of people a lot of the people who sort of probably don't really know what they're talking about before they sort of judge is that it's the, the animals are more wide a lot of the time in these closed range areas they're a lot of the time they're more wired and more alert and probably actually harder to, to get a shot at a lot of the time than, than the stuff that's completely completely technically free range. But yeah. what I don't like is there's two things I don't like. I don't like when people aren't honest about it 
um, and try and make something into what it isn't because I think it's I think it's the right thing to do to be clear about that and 100%. like you just were then you were just so open just saying you just went like this is what it was I loved it I had an awesome time that's that's how everyone should be and when people put photos up of like these giant red stags that you can tell like yeah there's, there's just, they're clearly clearly um, those those clean white antlers that have never seen any kind of like real bush in their life and and don't sort of uh, state that. I, th- I have a problem with that when people try to pretend that it's like a wild red stag when it clearly isn't. And, yeah. and um, I have an issue with that. And I also have an issue with outfitters who try and blur the lines between what is free range and what's yeah. what's really not free range. And that that's happened in Australia, um, particularly in Queensland. I won't name names, but there's outfitters that have made an entire business out of blurring the lines between what's free range and what's not. Yeah. And I I hate that. I think that's yeah. Something's either it's either wild or it's not. Yeah, there's um, there's a and- stigma about about high fence. You know, when I first did it, talking to people, I was somewhat embarrassed saying this is what it was. Um, you know, because there's that stigma behind it. But I've learnt just to say say to people, this is what it was. This is how it happened. You know, I was there. My mate was shooting a uh, black buck. He wanted. He shot a nice trophy black buck with a rifle, and the property owner goes, "Oh, yep. you can go have a crack at one of those ordad with the bow if you want for this this amount." And I'm like, "All right, let's do it." You know <laughs> that he had yeah. he had seeker, elk, black buck, ordad, all in this big big fenced area. Yep. So being able to shoot a high fence ordad when you got seeker running past, and you got elk, and you got a bunch of other random. You know, you got African species, Indian species, North American species just running around you as well. So it was, and, and the yeah, and the the, the people that the, the type of people that are going to say something or have a problem with that are exactly the sort of people that are never ever going to experience what you and I have experienced yeah. in Texas. They're just never going to even know what it's like because they're they're too cool or they're too purist or whatever. They're, they're yeah. not they're not going to have those experiences, and that's fine. Like that's that's their choosing and um yeah everyone's everyone's entitled to their opinion but but estate hunting has its place it does um i i i yeah it has its place in modern hunting and um i don't condone hunting in really really small enclosures or things that have just released half an hour before because that happens too there's all these different variables but if you're hunting in a in a in an area that's like in inverted commas, fair chase because it's a huge chunk of land and it has a fence that's impenetrable around it. But those animals are like pound for pound. They're they're just as tough to stalk with a bow and get a shot at. They are. I don't have an issue with it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like I said, often often they're going to be harder. Often exactly. it's going to be actually more difficult. Yeah. Yeah. So coming up on to the end of the podcast now, um, what is hunting to you? Oh, you're going deep now. <laughs> it is. What is hunting to me? It is a. Um, it's something that it's 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 we don't really have a a one stop shop word for what hunting is or what it what it could mean. You you can't like we said before. We don't like the word sport, and we we agreed on that. It's not a sport. It's not a hobby. Um, you could say it's a lifestyle, and 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 I think that's 
I think that's true. It is. It is. Um, I think it's partially a lifestyle. I don't think it's an all-encompassing lifestyle. Like I don't live. I've got other parts of my life that don't involve hunting. Um, my whole life doesn't totally revolve around hunting, um, but a big part of my life revolves around it. Um, to me, at the really basic level, I think it. I think it runs very deep. Um, inside us as as humans and i think it's at the most basic level it's a spiritual thing um i think um i think it 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 lights a fire inside of us that very few other things can can achieve um there are things that really like there are a few things that in life that are that are natural that we've been doing for a long time that feel really good. So if you, if you imagine like, why is it that when we sit around a fire with our, with our fellow humans, like, like our mates, for example, why is it that we sit around a fire and stare into the fire? Like it's, it's because we've been doing it for so long. Why does making love feel so good? You know, like (laughs) it's something we've been doing for a, so long and it's part it's been part of our um it's it's something that we've had to do for so long to breed to actually just breed and create the next generation um why does sitting around the table eating dinner with your family feel so good eating eating good food i should add with your family and 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 being around your loved ones why does that feel so good it's because we've been doing it for such a long time and we know inside ourselves that that's important. Um, it's, it just, it, it's just something that's, it's been part of us for so long. Like, like driving cars has been around for like, like 0.1 of a second, you know, like, and how many people are just absolutely obsessed with cars? I'm not, I've got a car, I've got a ute and it's, it's a tool. It's yeah. a tool that gets me from A to B and takes me to hunting places and it does all the things that I need it to do. But I don't get obsessed about cars. I'm not I'm not a car nut. I, I don't play video games. I don't play footy. Um, I'm u- absolutely useless at footy as well. Um, like I just – there's just nothing else that I've come across that, um, that gives me the – the emotion and the passion and the feeling and the and the and the and the and the connection with spirituality that hunting does and continues to do, um, and there's so many other variables to it. Like it's not you, when people say it, you can't answer that in one word or one particular um, thing because there's so many different elements to it. You know, like there's the there's like one example is the meat side is a big thing. Um, I love that. I love providing meat for my family and it's become more and more of a thing as time's gone on. Like it wasn't when I was hunting with Dave when I was a kid, we didn't take meat from pigs. We didn't, obviously when we shot a deer, we kept all the meat, but these days I go and take deer for meat and, and our, our freezer is generally full of venison. We eat a lot of venison per year. It's probably in the last three years, it's probably been at least four nights out of seven. We have venison for dinner. So the meat angle is a big thing, and and not only for for my immediate family, but sharing that with friends and family, and 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 just actually sharing that with with others. Um, I think just the 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 um 
the race, being able to hit the reset button, button, and and the the mental health, um, like the mental health kind of positives that come with it. Like there is just something, as we know, but it, that is hard to describe to others who don't know about it. That, like going out bush and and resetting and and just totally switching off, like and and just being so in a different zone for those. It might be one afternoon. It might you might be just going hunting rabbits for an afternoon, or you might be going to Kyrgyzstan for a week, or whatever it is. But you go into the bush, whatever it looks like, whatever that bush looks like, and you you go into such a different zone compared to the the zone that we live in as modern humans that it does something amazingly positive for our mental well being and our and our brains. Um, and and like us like. Anyone that's not a hunter will never understand that unless they actually have a crack. Um, there's the whole family element to it. Like I, I, I see the uh, my my grandfather wasn't a hunter. Um, he he wasn't into hunting at all. He doesn't even fish. He didn't he didn't fi- he's still alive, but he he was never even into fishing. He was into cricket and swimming and tennis and stuff. Um, but he never hunted and never fished. Luckily, my dad figured it out and started. But that family, the family connection and the kind of bond that I've got with my old man and that I hope to be able to achieve with my son, like, I just can't imagine, like, yeah, I just, I, I just think it's that, that bond that you create with, with your immediate family members, if you hunt together is like a level of nothing else. Eh? Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's on another level when I can look at dad if we're hunting together, I, he doesn't have to talk. Like he, I can read his mind through his eyes, you know, like I know he just has to turn around and look at me and I know exactly what he's saying without he opening his mouth. And it's the same for, for, for me to him. And you start to build that with your mates too. Like if you hunt with mates yeah, a lot, you start to build almost a telepathic um, ability to, to communicate um, so I think the mateship and the camaraderie and the, and the, and the family elements of it are a massive thing. Um, the adrenaline obviously, and the adventure, like the, 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 I love traveling. I, like I love traveling and I love exploring places that I haven't been and, 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 and countries that I haven't been and areas that I haven't been. And I just, I'm fascinated with plants and animals and, and, and geology and, waterways and creeks and just nature anything yeah. that's got anything that's anything that nature has created i'm i'm i love it i'm just interested i, I just want to see it and i want to be in it and 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 i think we um that's at the end of the day that's where we came from we didn't come from a suburban street we didn't come from a from a high rise we didn't even come from a village we came from the bush. Mm-hmm. We came that that was where we came from, and that was our that was that that's like nature is where we came from, and we were there for hundreds of thousands of years, if not millions of years, before we suddenly started living in this absolute fucking circus that we live <laughs> in now. Like that, and that's still in us. We can't avoid that. Yeah. Like we 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 we. It's still in us, and like this, what's what the world has turned into in the last 
sort of 500 years or 2,000 years or 3,000 years, it is just totally, totally alien compared to where we've come from um, for a long time. So we have that connection to what we, we have this innate connection to where we came from and what we came from. And that's what we get. We, that's what we connect with when we go hunting. We're like, oh, fuck, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yep. You know what I mean? Same as when you're making love. Like that, that's what you're <laughs> supposed to do. Like that's – it makes sense. You're like, yep, this is awesome. This is what I'm supposed to do. It does. And, and, and like that's – yeah, that's at a basic level. That's – yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. And um, we're not supposed to play – Australian rules football. No. <laughs> we do, and everyone thinks it's cool, and everyone everyone loves it. Like I'm not an Aussie rules fan. I've, I've watched a bit of NRL, but that's not what we're supposed to do. That's that's not like that's just a game that we invented a few seconds ago, and now everyone like for whatever reason everyone thinks it's amazing. But and that's fine. <laughs> I'm not having to go on it. But you can't put a deer like, in the freezer with a football. So. <laughs> No, you can put a few million dollars in the in the bank though if you really could. But um, yeah, like it's it's what we're supposed to do, man. It's it's, it's what yeah. we're supposed to do, and and that's what we've always done. And and like this, I think we're living in fairyland at the moment. Like in this current age, like there's going to be some real like. I hope it doesn't happen in our lifetime, or and like I, I'm not a pessimist, but there's going to be some real serious shit that goes down in the future. Um. In our lifetime, like yours and mine, and 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 our parents, like we've been living in absolute fairyland. There's been no wars, really. It's been just these huge, like like the way the economies have developed, and like the way the standard of living, and and everything. Like we've been living in absolute fairyland for the last two generations, and it is going to come crashing down at some point. We, we we cannot sustain the population that we've got. We cannot sustain things the way we're going. We're just we're just it's gonna fail. Yeah. And one day, mark my words, right now, one day, we will need to go and hunt to survive. There won't be woolies. There won't be electricity or credit cards or service stations where you can go and get gas. You're gonna have to go and hunt. We're That's all- gonna happen. We're almost there with the Rona. <laughs> how yep. many how many people picked up a bow and a rifle when Rona hit? Yep, and Corona was a drop in the ocean, mate. There's <laughs> going to be way more serious shit than that, that that happens in the near future. And and like I don't want to be a pessimist, but it, it's going to happen. Like it's just yeah. a cycle of it's a cycle of nature, and there's going to be there's there will be a time when if you can't hunt, you're just going to perish. It's that, and I it's that quote that Rogan says all the time. Um, Hard times create hard men. Hard hard men create easy times. Easy times create soft men. Soft men yep. create soft like hard times. Yep. And do you know who's going to perish the fastest when shit hits the fan? It's going to be the people that are out there right now trying to figure out how to stop us by yep. hunting in South Australia. Exactly. They are going to. They are not going to pass on their genetics. I can guarantee you, they will not. Those types of people will not be passing on their genetics. Thank God, um, <laughs> that it's it's just not going to happen. They're going to yep. they're, they're just not going to have what it takes to survive one single day. No, nah, nah, they'll be coming to us when shit hits the fan. We'll be the people. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I hope it's not in our lifetimes or our or our kids, but it's going to happen. Yeah, 
It, it kind of needs to. We need a master reset, as bad as that sounds, but... <laughs> I agree. I totally agree, mate. Yeah, we do. We need we need a master reset. We need to be thinned out massively. I was hoping for um, zombies over Rona, but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how zombies go with an arrow. I haven't really played enough video games to know what how they react to an arrow, but um, I'm not sure. Does that Do they still work like a good Walk, sharp broadhead or... Walking Dead, they were knocking them down with uh, field tips. <laughs> oh righto. Oh, better stock up. Better stock up on field points. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, Ben, thank you for coming on. Um, if people have enjoyed what they've heard, where can they find you? Where can they find um, Silent Pursuits? And yeah, well, if you're going through Tully, you can drop in for a beer if you want. Um, that's where you'll find me physically, but on, um, <laughs> on social media, I guess I better, yeah, I, I have a, yeah, I, I, it's just my name, like just Ben Solaris on, on, um, on Instagram and Facebook and Silent Pursuits. Um, yeah, I've got a Instagram and a Facebook, even though there's been a bit of a meltdown and there's a bit of, yeah, I've, I've lost, I've lost uh, access to my, to my <laughs> Facebook account for the time being, but I'm still trying to get sort that out. Um, yeah, social media is a fragile thing, as I learned in the is. last few weeks. It can, it can just go pear shaped very quickly for no reason and with no, um, no warning. Um, but yeah, like it's not hard to find me on any of those things. Um, there is a Silent Pursuits website too, which is just um, um, SilentPursuits.com. That's just a bit of a landing page, which has a bit of information about the different countries where where organised hunts, and um, yeah, you can you can make contact there. But yeah, like I like I said before, I I um I I, I organise hunts in anywhere anywhere where hunting's legal in the world. I organise hunts, and um, it doesn't matter whether you're a rifle hunter or a bow hunter. I quite often get queries, for example, about Bulgaria from people saying oh is it bow hunting only and i'm like no like of course i look after anyone it doesn't matter if you doesn't matter what you hunt with i'm, I'm a bow hunter but i look after more rifle hunters than bow hunters overall per year and um yeah anywhere where hunting's legal i can i can set you up and um i'm gonna look after you i'm gonna i'm gonna put you in the right spot i'm gonna make sure you i'm gonna make sure you're gonna have an awesome time and and give you the absolute best chance of of um success and um that's what my job is that's what I do. Um, I I put you in the right spot, um, and I look after all the details and make sure everything goes to plan. And um, I take a lot of pride in making sure that that happens. And um, yeah, I encourage people just to get in touch, even if you want to have a yarn about any of these hunts or like. I think a lot of things, a lot of people kind of have it in their heads that things are more expensive or more out of reach than what they actually are. There are so many awesome hunts out there right now that that offer such amazing value. Um, there's some, there's there's just so many cool hunts out there that are more affordable than plenty of hunts in Australia. Like there's stuff yeah. you can you can go and hunt a Basidi ibex in Spain for less than what you're going to pay for a for for some red or fallow deer hunts in Australia. Like there's some amazing opportunities out there. And I'm happy to spell them out. Like I'm, I'm, my phone's always on, and um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always keen for a chat, no matter, no matter who you are or what your level of experience is or what you're interested in. I'm, I'm, I'm always up for a chat, and um, can definitely guide you on the on the right path. And um, yeah, um, just feel free to reach out, eh? I'm and just another, I'm just another hunter. And you've also got um, through the Silence Pursuits, um, some Australian 
hunts as well on their goat goat hunting as well I've seen so that yeah. that makes it accessible for people looking to just get out for a goat hunt yeah well watch that space mate because there's, there might be something happening there in the near future um, along the lines of what we were speaking about before with in terms of education and perfect training um yeah the the whole training angle so that yeah there's a there's a there's a bit of a thing where yeah working on there at the moment um i think goats are uh, goats are just the perfect animal to oh, to huh. learn on yeah. and, and and you south australian fellas you know that because you you've got great opportunities down there um and and yeah like sometimes sometimes i think in australia like because there's so many people especially with bows i'm talking about bows specifically there's so many there's so many deer getting shot with bows now that a lot of beginners must just think that's normal and and think that they should be able to go and shoot deer with a bow and 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 that that should be something that's very achievable but shooting any any species of deer with a bow anywhere in the world anywhere in australia any species it doesn't matter like that's a really big deal and social media has kind of made it into not a big deal, yeah. but it really is. Deer are, deer are fucking hard to hunt with a bow. doesn't matter where you are. Um, and pigs are, pigs are definitely um, easier to stalk and probably easier to get opportunities at, but um, they're often in places that are further away and require more time to, to sort of get to and the logistics are a little bit more complex. And some people aren't ready to just go straight up to Cape York and start shooting pigs yeah. or big like like big boars with a bow some people aren't quite ready for that um goats offer a goats aren't going to come and attack you and the opportunities are, are very high like there's a high rate of opportunity so i think goats just offer a, a great opportunity for a beginner um you've, you've got the meat element you've got skins you've got capes potentially if you're getting a mount done you've got trophy preparation boiling out heads and stuff like that um there's less seasonality like you've got more you can pretty much hunt them all year um so yeah like there's there's something there's something happening there at the moment and um stay tuned on that and um awesome i'll be sure to let you know when it when it when it happens anyway but yeah but if, if anyone's keen for a goat hunt yeah i offer yeah just we run goat hunts all through the year so it, it's always open and it's a it's a great opportunity to go and hunt goats if you haven't got access um but from a training perspective, there might be something happening there fairly soon. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. There's been like I've you know I've spoken about it. You know, if if I had property to to take people out and do do bow hunting seminars on, you know, it's it that's a really good idea. So it's something that's been spoken yeah. about for a long time with a bunch of different people. So yeah, uh, that's that's awesome to hear. But yeah, thank you very very much, Ben. Um, very much appreciated. It was great to have you on. Yeah. A great talker. <laughs> and, uh, I've learned learned a lot. That's for sure. Oh, it was a it was a good chat, mate. We covered a lot of um, covered a lot of material and a lot of different um, yeah, a lot of different aspects. And you're a great interviewer. Oh, thank few, you very few much. People, few people could learn from you, I reckon. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's been some. <laughs> I listen to podcasts, you know, six seven hours a day. So yeah, hopefully I pick something up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you, you're you're doing great, mate. Yeah, you 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 look like an absolute pro here on the video on the video on the computer screen. Nah, you look like you've been doing it for twenty years. <laughs> cheers, man. Really appreciate it. Anyway, well, have a good uh, night, and thank you everyone for listening. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. Please head over to our social media and give us a follow. Instagram at Hunting Connection Podcast, Facebook at Hunting Connection Podcast, Twitter at Hunting Connect, TikTok at Hunting Connection Podcast. If you've enjoyed, please share with your friends and family, tag us in your photos and videos on social media, subscribe, rate and review to help grow the podcast. If you're interested in giving additional support to the podcast, you can head over to our podcast Patreon page. Thank you very much for listening and catch you next episode.